0: Clank, clank, clank go her foot claws. <laughs> snick, snick, snick go her hand. Okay. <laughs> X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy
1: the world. The only hope is. X-Men.
0: Welcome to Cerebro, the X Men podcast, where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today is returning guest Zoe Tannell, sometime comics critic, but lately the writer of the original comic Blade Maidens, with fellow friend of the pod, Valentine Smith. Zoe, how are you today?
1: I'm doing great. It's a lazy Sunday over here, so I'm just been lounging.
0: I was glancing over a lot of Laura Kinney content because I have found that no matter how hard I try, my brain has a lot of trouble retaining information about this character. And the Tom Taylor stuff with the clone sisters was so Mm -hmm. complicated that I was like, I have to go back and remember... The sequence of events here, <laughs> so.
1: yeah. There's like, like the important bit is Gabby is here now, but there's so much there.
0: There's others. What was this company? I don't even remember. It was because I read that. I got the um the omnibus when it came mm. out, and I read it then. And so I was like, let me go back over like the Bellina of it all, because I could not remember. I was like, is she in prison? I forgot. Like I couldn't even remember where she had gone. So she has white hair. Yes, love that for yeah, her. There you go. Great, good times. I remember actually that when we saw Fenris's Hellfire looks, the preview art for X-Corp, because they were wearing white wigs as part of their look, people were like, is that Bellina? I was like, I sincerely doubt that Bellina is going to show up. In X-Corp. Like, without any hint that she's around in the entire curriculum. Usually they give you a minute before they bring somebody back, of like, a reference.
1: Or they'll show up, like, yeah, mentioned in another book. Exactly, before they pop
0: up. But anyway, we are here to talk about Laura Kinney, Best known as X twenty three, more recently known as Wolverine, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll get into. There's a question about how we feel about all the code name stuff, so I'll save that probably for the Q and A section because it's complicated. But right now, she is Wolverine. Emphatically, she mm-hmm. is on Jerry Duggan and Pepe Larossi's X Men team with her complicated friend, Sink, mm-hmm. and her father's boyfriend and girlfriend which is kind of a fun weird dynamic it is so (laughs) I've been enjoying that she hasn't had a ton of spotlight in that series yet but it feels like something is queuing up because it feels like the vault plot is coming back soon yeah
1: it it feels like the vault plot and it feels like like the big story going forward for her is definitely her in sync yes which I get why that's the big story and I I'm here for it but also I wish she would do some things besides that also that would be cool
0: i have hope that she will i think that what is important about that is it set the two of them apart from their generations very much so in a way that i think was really helpful for both characters wherever it goes whether it becomes the romantic plot it was in the vault or not i think not would be more interesting personally Agreed. but yeah. i'm open to I, I i trust the writing team right now honestly so much that i'm along for the ride with pretty much anything but i think it's more interesting if sync can't have that
1: yeah like it, it feels almost too clean mm-hmm. if like they're able to, oh, wait, no, we can still be together even with this, like, thousands of years of baggage. Right,
0: but I like that she acknowledged in not Mm. the most recent issue, but the previous one, in number five, she was like, I realize we need to have a conversation. I needed a second, but we're going to get there. We're going to do it, just not right now. And that he's like, I get that. Whenever you want to do it, we'll do it. Like, Mm. we don't have to have that conversation until you're ready to have that conversation. So we'll get to the vault, but there is... So much to cover before that, because <sighs> shockingly, I mean, not so shockingly, because she's a hot girl Wolverine, which was the whole idea, right? This character has existed for less than 20 years in terms of the comics, but she is a huge character in the franchise. Yeah. I mean, I looked it up and she has, I want to say, like 37 Zaladanes, something like that.
1: Yeah, she she's also, I was thinking about it the other night, like, a lot of people have strong opinions on whether X-Men should have solo stories, and, you know, that's, that's here or there. But compared to, like, X-Men who have been around for decades, mm-hmm. Laura has had two solo ongoings, multiple miniseries, or three solo ongoings, um, and appearing, like, consistently for 20 years now, which is more than most X-Men, period.
0: Kitty Pride has never had a solo yep. ongoing. Like, Marauders, you could now say is her book, but it's a team book in the same way that Excalibur was Betsy's book, but was a team book. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not Shadowcat, the ongoing series. She's the focal point. Or Captain Kate Pride. Right. Right. That's much more typical for the X-Men. Mm-hmm. There are two X-23 ongoings, the all-new Wolverine ongoing that was massive by Tom Taylor. Yeah. And, yeah, as you note, several miniseries, a whole bunch of one-shots. She's mm-hmm. got, not only runs in X-Men, but a long run with the Avengers Academy.
1: Yeah, she, she's been all over the place.
0: Much like her dad, she is everywhere in the Marvel Universe. She gets Wolverine publicity. Mm-hmm. She was in Marvel vs. Capcom 3, which is not something that any other Academy X character is going to get is an appearance in a big video game.
1: Yeah, and if I remember right, the Marvel vs. Capcom team specifically like went to Marvel and was like, "We want to put X Twenty Three in our game." We want this character. Game. Yes,
0: yeah. that when we do get to the code name question is actually I think the biggest strike against her. Mm. It's a general problem, which is that I do think the code name you're known by in adaptations that Mm. the general public sees more than comics fans tends to be the code name you're stuck with. So the fact that she was X23 in X Men Evolution, Marvel versus Capcom, and Logan, Logan, the big movie, I think that's going to be a problem for her, but we'll get there when we get there. Yeah. Before we dig into Laura, I have a correction I want to issue. A couple weeks ago in the Prodigy episode, Ash Elaine and I were talking about Prodigy's love interests and we referred to Tommy Shepard as a white character. A Romani listener wrote in to remind me that Tommy is of partial Romani heritage through his mother, the Scarlet Witch. Romani identity is very complicated and I do try on this show when discussing Romani characters who are drawn looking like white characters to refer to them as white presenting rather than as white characters, because I know it's very complicated and different Romani people identify in very different ways with regard to the question of race. So apologies for that slip up. I will be more careful with my phrasing on that in the future. And thank you to Robin Badir for writing in. In any case... I'd love to hear a little bit about your relationship to this character. You did a fun thread on Twitter where you read every single speaking appearance she's ever had. Shout out to, as always, Travis Starnes, creator of the Complete Marvel Reading Order, without whom this show would be super impossible. I, yeah, no, I, you, you <laughs> threw that sight at me because I was just like,
1: okay, I'm lost now because Marvel Unlimited has failed me. And I was just like, oh my God, everything is here.
0: Marvel Unlimited is getting better to search, Mm. but it's still a little rough. And then you could go to like uncannyxmen.net, which has those great profiles, but they do everything in story order, Mm. which for a character like Laura in particular is rough because she, much like Wolverine, has like 50 retcon stories. So I also went to the complete Marvel reading order and was just like, I am not going to read all of this because, thankfully, Zoe has read all of this. I did. I'm going to hit the hits. Like, I read through all of Academy X slash New X-Men, etc. recently because I've had to do a couple characters from that series. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, only for you, Soraya, will I read this fucking book. So I did. And uh, so I've, I I had read all the Laura stuff in that. I have read Kyle and Yos X Force already, so that I had in my head already. Mm-hmm. And I had read Avengers Arena, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. So it was more about filling in the gaps between Avengers Arena and All New Wolverine. All New Wolverine, which I had yeah. read, and then it was also like let me revisit NYX because I haven't read this since it came out. Oh boy! Oh boy! We'll get there. <laughs> so what is your connection to this character? What is it that you like about her? When we were talking about episodes you might like to do, this was one of the first names that you came up with.
1: The first connection I have is I, I was a big X-Men Evolution fan. Mm-hmm. That, that was like my, aside from the Ultimate Universe, which I, that's how I got into comics, it's it, giant mess.
0: I talked about it on the Cannonball episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go back to the Cannonball episode for yeah. Zoe's like comics origin origin story. story. Well, the it's the thing it's you should know is boring. she came in mostly through the Avengers because she's mm-hmm. a little
1: younger than me. But I did love X Men Evolution. Mm-hmm. That was like my that that I it hit right at the perfect time. I was like right in the age group for it, um, and I just devoured that show. So when she showed up on that show. I was just like, oh, cool, that's a cool character. And then when I heard she was brought into the comics afterwards, I was just like, oh shit, that's really cool. I need to check this out.
0: And very rare at Marvel.
1: Yeah, like there DC are several does characters at Marvel. DC, like Renee yeah.
0: Montoya or Harley, Harley. Quinn, yeah. who came in in the Bruce Pauldini cartoons before. They were introducing Mercy Graves. Like I can think of like maybe five of them or characters who were in a movie and then pop up in mm-hmm. the comics or like things like that. Marvel doesn't do that very often. I think like the biggest one is Coulson
1: from the MCU.
0: Phil Colson, yeah. probably. Although I can't even remember that might have been a name that existed before they used God. it in the movies. You know maybe. what I mean? Yeah. I, I would have to check. He's the big one who definitely is like pulled from a movie <clears> into <throat> the thing. It seems like they're now kind of refurbishing Agatha Harkness in a similar way, but that's more of a synergy. Yeah, the the
1: thing they frequently do when a new movie is coming out.
0: Yeah, especially if the character isn't super A list, you know. But the biggest one in Marvel is undoubtedly. Oh, yeah, that
1: you you can't argue.
0: Who was created by Craig Kyle and Christopher Yost for X Men Evolution? This actually hasn't come up on this show because they don't talk about the adaptations that much. But Kyle and Yost come from that. Like, they were the X-Men Evolution guys.
1: And then came into comics after the fact. Right. And so
0: one of the things that they did when they took over Academy X was make X-23 the star of Academy X, because Mm -hmm. she's their creator's pet, is the way that a lot of people would put it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Claremont had, like, 12 of them. I'm not, you know... That's fine. Luke Cage became a huge character. Because he and Jessica ben- Jones were Bendis', yeah, were Bendis yeah. characters. Right. Yep, That happens all the time. My issue with Laura was always... I think I was just a little too old because I was a little too old for X-Men Evolution. I also was put off by, I've mentioned this before, the way that X-Men Evolution played so fast and loose with character ages. Mm -hmm. It really messed with my head that, like, Jean and Scott were 17 and Wolverine and Storm were teachers. Yeah. Or, like, Hank was, like, 15 years older than Scott and Jean. Like, all of that felt really weird to me. I'm good with an AU for an adaptation, but I need the character relationships to be somewhat consistent. Like the Wolverine mm. and the X-Men cartoon I like much better. Totally different world, but the character relationships feel roughly analogous, right? You can you can see the blueprint. Here. Yeah. Yeah. So evolution was tough for me, and then X twenty three very much felt like a Poochie. Yeah. She
1: I I think he for the first chunk of her existence, very, like, extremely Poochie.
0: I've now been asked several times after talking about this in the Nate Gray episode, because this has come up in the Discord server many times, but I don't think on the show I've ever explained Poochie. For Gen Z, if you haven't watched The Simpsons, Poochie is a character from a classic Simpsons episode called The Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie Show, in which The Itchy and Scratchy Show is meddled with by corporate executives who decide that they need a hip new character to appeal to kids today. And they create by committee this character Poochie who is a skateboarding dog from another planet and is like every trend of the early 90s Mm -hmm. boiled into one character and is unbearable. The worst. The fan response is so overwhelmingly negative that they are forced to kill him off by editing together the episodes. And the end, the famous bit is that Poochie floats away off out of the screen and a handwritten title card says Poochie died on the way back to his home planet.
1: One of the best Simpson jokes, like, Ever. of all time. So
0: when I say Gossamer died on the way back to her home planet, for example, that's a Poochie joke. Hmm. So Poochie has come up a couple times on this show. What is a Poochie? A Poochie is a couple different things. One is a character who suddenly... Everything is about because one of the things that the corporate team tells the itchy and scratchy people is when Poochie isn't on screen, all the other characters should be asking, where's Poochie? And that is the Nate Gray of it all. For example, Mm -hmm. Laura is also like that. The other thing that is characteristic of a Poochie is that they are very in line with the specific trend of their cultural moment. The original Marvel Poochie, honestly, was Dazzler. Yeah. I mean, that was Jim Shooter saying, Disco's, Disco's hot. hot right now. We're going to yeah. do a disco character, and everyone in the Marvel Universe has to know who she is and be friends with her. And that was her solo book. When Claremont got a hold of her in the X-Men books, she wasn't a Poochie anymore because it wasn't the hot trend anymore, and she was a supporting character as part of an ensemble. So she's not annoying like that. Laura, I found annoying, it was a couple things. I hated NYX. I absolutely well, when hated we it. when we sit
1: down and get into NYX, oh boy,
0: she's introduced to the comics by Joe Casada in NYX. Casada was at the time the editor in chief of Marvel Comics. I've heard great things about Joe Casada as a person. Mm-hmm. I hate this comic book.
1: Truly one of the worst things Marvel has published, in my opinion.
0: If you're unfamiliar with NYX, it takes place in District X, aka Mutant Town, the mutant ghetto in Alphabet City that was part of Grant Morrison's New X-Men run and then became sort of a thriving mutant subcultural community in New York City. It was devastated by the decimation and after the decimation becomes the setting for X-Factor Investigations where they're sort of picking up the pieces. But NYX is about young people struggling to make their way in District X without support from adults. They're sort of teen runaways and stuff. The choice was made and we're just going to get right into it now, I think. Oh boy. This is a truly bizarre marketing decision. We have this very popular cartoon, X-Men Evolution we have this new character, this breakout. I was reading an interview with Craig Kyle where he said that he created her specifically because of the age problem I'm talking about where Wolverine Mm. was so much older than the main characters of the show. There wasn't a Wolverine. There wasn't a Wolverine for the generation of kids watching Evolution in the same way. So he created a teenage Wolverine who could be appear to the other characters that we're mostly focused on like young scott and Jean and kitty and kurt and etc so that makes sense the poochie of it is she's a girl wolverine who's like a fun teenage girl and she's dark and right yeah and she's got claws in her feet you and i we're gonna
1: we're gonna get into the foot we'll claws get into the foot
0: here's the thing The Velociraptor quality to it is neat. I'm not saying it's not neat, but to me at the time, and this is, by the way, peak Wolverine. It is a time at which you could not be more exhausted by Wolverine, the guy Wolverine, if you're reading Marvel Comics at this point. So here's another Wolverine, but she's a sexy teenage girl, and we're pumping it up. There's a claw in her feet. I was just like, shut the fuck up. And particularly, and- Several people now on Twitter have tried to explain to me how the foot claws could retract. But my issue is that I always was thinking about she's a stealth operative. And I feel like if there are adamantium claws in your feet, they must be going clankety clank every time you run, right? Like you're running around and clank, clank, clank go her foot claws. Snick, <laughs> snick, snick go her hands. Okay. <laughs> I just, I can't stop thinking about the noises she would make now. You have to just not worry about that because all the adamantium skeleton stuff doesn't make any sense.
1: Well, the the thing with Laura is she doesn't have the full skeleton. Right, she it's just, just has the claws, the claws, and just the feet. So if she has just a single metal claw in each foot, it's not going to rattle. It's just one metal thing.
0: I just feel like her feet would go clankety clank. I I, bl- <laughs> I understand that clearly they don't because she sneaks into government bases all the time, but. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is hard for me not to just picture her going clink 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 clink, 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 clink,
1: clink, clink, clink. It's a very fun visual. It's a funny <laughs>
0: idea, right? So I'm a little bit attached to it, but it's fine. She's clearly learned to adjust to not clank her feet around. You know, trained to kill from birth or whatever. We'll get there. Oh boy. In the X Men Evolution cartoon, she is a Hydra experiment hmm. that is turned into a Weapon X offshoot called the Facility in the comics. And the mother character who creates her, the scientist from the cartoon, Deborah Risman, Is revamped as the comic book character Sarah Kinney. Sarah Kinney,
1: yeah.
0: Risman is then reused as the name of one of the purifiers by Kyle and Yost in uh, the Academy XF and becomes like an enemy for Laura. So that was clearly like a wink to the original Mm -hmm. story, I guess. I don't know why those changes were made. I assume it's because Hydra is not an X Men thing. And this was at the time in Marvel Comics where they were really starting to cordon off the X Men line from the other titles, apart from Wolverine popping. Up everywhere nyx hits in 2004 which is right before the decimation because house of m's 2005 and in it the decision is made we have this popular character that kids love from the x-men evolution cartoon so we're going to debut her in an adult mature readers mature yeah. readers title as a teenage prostitute And not
1: just as like a sex, like a teenage sex worker. Well, and I'm using, I'm not using. The thing is, like, I'm specifically
0: using fair.
1: You're correct. You You know what I'm getting?
0: Because here's the thing: like, I would say sex worker, except if there
1: is agency
0: involved, right? She does not have. This is not in any way a portrayal of sex work. It's not. It doesn't even. I would say survival sex work if it was someone making a choice. Yeah. She's trafficked
1: in a way that
0: is really... You you are 100% correct. You know, it's like she has a pimp. His name is Zebra Daddy. And she is this trafficked girl who needs to be rescued.
1: I I have to... I know you put content warnings on everything. Yeah. Just extra content warning here. Literally the very first appearance of Laura Kinney in Marvel Comics is some dude has finished his time with her... And is paying, and they introduce her, a traumatized child, by having the guy say, Not easy finding a girl with your talents. Got to admit, you're You're the best best at what what you do. do." And he's got claw marks on his back, and just literally the worst possible way you could do this
0: using wolverine's catchphrase to illustrate that what she's best at is sadomasochistic forcible sex work
1: it is a nightmare on
0: every level she's about 15 by the way in this story Mm -hmm. yep I don't super feel the need to go into detail no. on this book, but it's a baffling choice. And I will say it is why I had a strong aversion to this character until like maybe the Krakoa era. Cause I didn't read all new Wolverine and it wasn't until I started doing this show that I was like, I am going to be forced to finally read X 23 comics, <laughs> I guess. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. she's an important character to Extremely, the franchise. Yeah. And you know, I, it's hard, because to me, she was part and parcel of a specific trend of character that I mm. did not like. I identify three big characters in this archetype. Mm. They're all very popular characters, so this is just my personal aversion to it. Cassandra Kane, River Tam, and Laura Kinney.
1: Oh, God, yeah.
0: Essentially the same archetype, which is... A teenage girl raised from birth or trained from early childhood as a, weapon. As a yeah. weapon, metaphorically raped a lot by these men in lab coats, sometimes not so metaphorically as in this case. <sighs> they don't talk much. There is a pseudo Asian or literally Asian aesthetic to all of them. Cassandra Kane is an Asian character. Yep. River Tam clearly is supposed to be an Asian character. Her name is Tam, but like many characters in Firefly who were intended to be Asian characters, Joss Whedon cast a white person because he liked the actor better.
1: And Laura has all the baggage of Wolverine's Orientalism.
0: And also in NYX is very much done in sort of like a gothic Lolita schoolgirl kind of way that I think is drawing on anime influence.
1: It kills me that Middleton did NYX because like, Middleton is uh, his cover work. He's been doing is like breathtaking, and I went, "Wait, no, he did this? Oh fuck! He was just getting a paycheck." Like I'm not.
0: Well, and I mean, I think Joe is a talented guy too. I just think this book is wildly ill advised.
1: In every there's there's no way you could do this book and have like, well, you could do a version of this book. You can't do this. There's no way to pull off this Laura. I think, and have it
0: work. I'm going to be real, honestly, and I'm not usually this kind of person. I think anybody should be allowed to write anything if they do it with care. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure there is any cishet man on this earth who could write this story specifically about teenage girls being sexually exploited and not have it come off a little bit off. There's a male gaziness to every aspect of this comic. That is just inescapable and makes it feel really gross. Because we're supposed to feel bad for Laura, but it's also like, isn't this a little sexy?
1: I would say that specifically is a recurring thing with Laura up until she leaves X Force and gets the Marjorie Liu solo ongoing. I would agree. Specifically, there there are multiple moments in like New X-Men and X-Force mm-hmm. where for no reason, like she's on like a mission, like there, there's one that's stuck in my head where she's with Hellion, and they're on a mission, and it just cuts to them. And she's like throwing some executive out of a window and Julian has to go catch him. She's wearing like the Britney Spears baby one more time yeah. outfit mm-hmm. for no reason. They don't talk about it. They don't acknowledge it. Nothing. She's just wearing it.
0: The sexualization of this character is something that really turned me off. It made it is me uncomfortable. Upsetting. So she was this sort of extreme poochie that I was already kind of averse to. But then the intense sexualization of this underage girl it's really wigged me out. It's the same reason that characters like Cassandra Cain and River Tam wigged me out because they feel like fetishistic characters. It feels like someone created this character because this Makes them a little turned on. And I'm not saying that Kyle and Yost did that. I'm not saying that Joe Casada did that. I'm just saying the vibe that I get from NYX and then from all the work that follows until I would agree she's written by a woman.
1: Yep. Weird how that happened.
0: Funny how sometimes that really does change things up, huh? <laughs> There is just an objectification of her that feels like having your cake and eating it too.
1: Extremely the so. The
0: story is about how it's wrong that she's treated as an object, but the comic also relentlessly treats her as an object. And that and was sort of my issue with the character.
1: It's especially noticeable during... So there's two distinct minis following um, NYX.
0: Which, by the way, to just to wrap up NYX, yeah. the only thing you need to know about NYX is... Laura is helped by a mutant named Kaiden Nixon.
1: I like Kaiden. Kaiden's a nice character.
0: She's fine. I just... There's so much baggage. She's so tainted for me by the association with NYX that I'm fully good with never seeing that character again.
1: I agree with you, and I am in fact angry that NYX, like, it should be one of those things that you just don't mention it.
0: We dry it,
1: right. Yeah. And it continues. It showed up as I think the most recent one was in All New Wolverine. There's a page where Doctor Strange like goes into her past and there's a panel of her and Zebra Daddy. And I'm like, come on.
0: Here's how I feel about it. And this is from my like male perspective. And, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. open to a million different opinions on this. I think, unfortunately, once you've done it, you can't ignore it with this character because it is such a traumatic thing that is so real like this is a real thing that happens to real people very much so and it's always female characters who get burdened with this right Mm. it's like this character is a rape survivor this character self-harms which is also laura's big thing yeah we haven't even gotten into that yet those things because they have so much power in the real world eliding them from the character isn't really a cool thing to do either. So it's like, this is the only Marvel superheroine who was trafficked into sex work. Mm-hmm.
1: And someone out there might like find It might be really important in, to them, yeah. right.
0: So... It's hard to say we should just ignore it. At the same time, I'd be good with not revisiting it again going forward. I think she has dealt with it several times now on panel, and I think we should just move on.
1: Many, many times. Like, I, that was when I was reading through, I was just like, oh my god, they keep bringing it up over yeah. and over and over. Post-NYX, there are two minis before... Well, actually, no. <laughs> There's the weird <laughs> Claremont aberration that Oh happens. yeah, she pops
0: up in Chris Claremont's Return, the Reload era. Briefly, she pals around with Betsy, which is fun. It's fun as hell. It's
1: really cute, honestly. I love it.
0: Betsy just came back from the dead as uh, Asian Betsy. And, you know, Laura thinks she's cool because she's a ninja. Yeah,
1: there's lots of little bits where, like, Betsy, they're in the salon, and Betsy is, like, working her, like, combing her hair and, like, working it into a braid. And Laura is clumsily trying to do the same thing. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. It's just a nice little moment.
0: I was struck when I went back to that recently for other reasons, which is... Compiling my private Rachel and Betsy manifesto. Uh, The (laughs) The reload period is also when for the first time we see the Kanon body without the purple hair mm-hmm. which is now something that we identify as distinctly Kanon rather than Betsy but at the time it's still Betsy it's just an interesting moment I was like huh I forgot that Claremont did that for a sec since you invoked
1: Rachel's name I can also talk about one thing that happened you sure can
0: I would never deny you the opportunity to talk about this road not taken
1: um, well actually there's two then because you're thinking of the other thing oh, okay. Um, <laughs> the, the one the one One thing is, so I very much headcanon um, Rachel as trans.
0: Yes, we talked about that in your previous episode.
1: And uh, lo and behold, I discovered um, there's a throwaway line in the arc where she is brainwashed into thinking she's a dinosaur alien.
0: Dinosaur Rachel, yes. Iconic moment by which I mean, don't worry about it.
1: Well, there's a line from the dinosaur people where they mentioned that her powers work on a subconscious level so that she actually changes her body to fit her self-identity of how she views herself and so i was just like oh that's cool i already thought she was trans but now i'm like oh she's really trans
0: cool well i mean and spiral specifically tempts her with i will perform plastic surgery on you if you come with me
1: yeah give you the body
0: you want and then and she grows into being able to do it herself subatomically because yep. to Claremont, she is the phoenix, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, listen. If we were to catalog transgender themes in Claremont's work, we'd be here for every. Oh well. Hey,
1: guess what? We're gonna we're gonna get into transgender <laughs> themes in Laura. We later, sure so. are. I'm
0: sure because Laura is a female clone. This is how she's introduced. Mm-hmm. She is a female clone of Wolverine. The project was attempting to create. A... So these are the minis that you're talking about. Is they come after NYX. Yeah, there's X-23 and Target X. And they detail her backstory. These are by Kyle and Ghost, So now her creators are in the mix. They both were vocal about not liking NYX. So mm-hmm. they quickly go to work to try and refurbish the character. But I do still think that even under them, there's a lot of gratuitous... This girl suffers extremely prettily stuff. There
1: are the especially in um target. I believe Target X is the one with the Mike Choi art, very much drawn like, oh, this is the prettiest, prettiest girl you could ever imagine, and we're gonna gratuitously show her arm getting chopped off Mm -hmm. and like
0: she's in pain, but she's tough. That's the one with Captain America, Target X, right? Yeah, Yeah, because that that's definitely the one i'm thinking of so Mm. you know like it's just it's rough it's just rough so the way that she's introduced is a group called the facility which is sort of a recreation of the weapon x project has been trying to replicate weapon x logan wolverine because Mm. he killed the main guy dr rice's parents so dr rice is pissed about it because dr rice's dad was like on the original Weapon X project. It doesn't super matter because this guy sucks and dies at the end of the mini, but he is a... He does sort of, like, psychosexually torture this girl who he raises. Yep. Sarah Kinney is a doctor who he hires. She basically, like, wants funding to continue her research on the mutant genome. She's noted as having helped map the mutant genome, which I would assume means she worked with Moira McTaggart, which is an Mm -hmm. interesting... Thing that's never been explored, and it would be particularly interesting now, actually. But this is after Moira is dead, allegedly, so it doesn't come up. Sarah Kinney is hired to clone Wolverine. Unfortunately, the DNA sample they have is damaged, so she suggests an alternative, which is that the Y chromosome is too damaged to use, but if she replicates the X chromosome she can create a viable clone it will just be female
1: a lot of issues there but we'll just move past it sure but you know
0: Dr. Rice uh, is not satisfied with that, but he understands that repairing the sample enough to get a real Logan clone could take like a decade. So in the meanwhile, sure, you can make your girl Wolverine and we'll use her to make money in the meantime, basically. Mm. So Sarah Kinney attempts to make this clone, her project, she fails 22 times the 23rd attempt given the designation x23 is a success dr rice because he is a complete weirdo piece of shit is pissed that dr kinney is always undermining his authority so he insists and this is again where it's like Mm -hmm. the gender stuff with this character is just weird yeah he forces Sarah Kinney to carry the child herself as a surrogate mother if she wants to continue her project and get funding.
1: Yep. That definitely happens in that comic book.
0: Now, here's the thing. Sarah Kinney is a bad person. Yeah. Which is something that I think later stories have missed a little bit. Yeah. Because Laura loves her, right? But Sarah Kinney is a monstrous person. She has pangs of conscience eventually about Mm -hmm. what they're doing. I mean, like once she has carried the child, this is the other thing is like she develops mommy feelings basically Mm -hmm. because she carried the child and she starts to think this is a real person. We can't be doing this, but she doesn't object that strenuously to them torturing this girl her entire life. And, you know, and I
1: mean, prior to that, like she's, I mean, like just the basic, oh yeah, I will take money to clone a killer. To create life and clone
0: um, an assassin for you that you can raise from birth to kill. Yes, so Mm -hmm. bad person, Mm -hmm. but has some regrets about it. That's also Deborah Risman's plot in the X-Men Evolution cartoon. This also plays into certain cliches about female villains that they always have to Mm -hmm. be secretly a little bit good. Have that moment of and particularly Yeah, and particularly... With regard to children or, like, a maternal Hmm. instinct. I don't super mind it with Sarah Kinney because I think she's an interesting character. She actually reminds me quite a bit of the Moira X we have now. Very much so, yeah. But she doesn't get to do much because by the end of the mini, Dr. Rice tricks Laura into killing her. Because the thing about Laura, and this is another thing I didn't like about the character... Is that she has this thing called the trigger scent that is programmed into her, where basically they like spray some evil cologne on you, and if she's near you, she will she instinctively will kill, you. kill you. Yeah, and this persists for almost twenty years,
1: and it's it doesn't just persist; it is like
0: the plot
1: for her over and over. Is that she has over. no
0: control over herself, and the thing is yeah. now Logan also has like his berserker rage type stuff, mm-hmm. but. It's never quite, so like, you can't flip a switch and make Logan kill people, usually.
1: Yeah, th- this is literally like she can be having a pleasant conversation with you and then you get a drop of trigger sent on you and you're dead.
0: Yeah, and so for me, this character, it was like, there was so much baggage and then also I felt like she had no agency over her own life. No way. A lot of people wrote in with great questions and comments for this episode, and that's something a lot of people relate to with this character, which is, again, why I'm saying, like, I don't want to take that from anybody, but for me as a reader at the time, and I'm starting college, basically, as this character becomes more prominent, I just found her frustrating, you know?
1: Yeah, and, like, that's actually, like, I'll, I can go harder into it later, but, like, the, the agency and, like, how she has absolutely none um, for God, I would like again up until the Marjorie Liu, um, yeah, run like like she's she's a tool.
0: There are occasional hints, I will say, throughout the Kyleneo stuff that like yeah, the X part of her can moments. fight back yeah. against it, but she never wins.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> but like the the fact that she's a character that went from that place to where she is now is a really powerful arc. It's moving, right. Yeah, if you just see it it, it's full. But in the moment, not great.
0: And I like her now, is the thing. It's just that for so many years, she was all of these tropes that I didn't like that much. And then they were all together in one character. And every character in the book kept turning to each other and saying, where's Poochie? And so that Mm. was annoying. Because I was like, I don't care what's up with X-23 Who cares? Leave me alone. But unfortunately, (laughs) we had to care. It's fine. It worked out okay. I think that those minis teed her up well for, I don't remember the exact, I'd have to look at, actually, I bet Travis Starnes, I have it pulled up, can tell us. The first mini happens before she joins the Academy X cast.
1: The second one came out after she joined, but is set just before. Yeah, it's a, it's like a,
0: it's like a flashback mini Mm -hmm. that happened, I think, in two thousand seven. Target X. Yeah. So the first one basically is coming off of Chris Claremont revamping the character out of NYX, which, like, I'm, uh, you know, it's a weird digression, but oh, and the other Rachel thing. Yeah, I was about to say we almost let it pass. Yeah, Logan briefly is like. Hey, Rachel, Kitty, do you want to raise this child together, which is a very Chris Claremont moment?
1: I am just so like the the fact that it is the the final like it is the last issue of that it's the Christmas issue before like the title changes hands and like we get this little tease of oh, we could have Kate and Rachel raising Laura as just a little fun queer-as-hell thing over here.
0: Yeah, Laura has two mommies. It's, like, yes. teased to us for, like, a second and then snatched away.
1: And then, yeah, it never... <laughs> I am, I will never forgive that this didn't happen. It is the most Zoe thing that could possibly exist. Well, it's
0: another thing we can blame on Joss Whedon because uh, Kitty goes yeah. to Astonishing and yeah. doesn't see Rachel again for years.
1: hmm
0: That's honestly where that relationship, I think, breaks down and has never... Never really come back together yeah. to the point where in X-Men Gold, I mean, I find Rachel to be like a pod person generally in X-Men Gold. Yeah.
1: Oh, it does not feel like Rachel. Yeah.
0: But I mean, that's but honestly, like I also found Reload Claremont Rachel to be kind of a pod person, which was weird. I
1: agreed. I actually. I'm, I'm this is why I like never Fred. call her Rachel yeah.
0: Gray, because to me, like Rachel Gray is a period of time in which I do not recognize the character. And I get that some people like it better, but I just like can't get there. <laughs> My brain just defaults to it because that's well, how you met her. Um, that makes sense. Exactly.
1: Yeah. But um I, I, there's a, there's the bit in like the short Laura period where like she and Emma have a showdown, and it just, it feels so weird.
0: Where she turns Emma fat,
1: fat. Yeah. Which yeah. is come on. Like it feels like Claremont suddenly writing Rachel like she's the Rachel who showed up in the first steps of his like
0: it's like Excalibur never happened is what exactly
1: weird. it feels like her growth just is totally gone yeah. and it, she's she's like impulsive bratty he resets
0: her to yeah. the uncanny stuff exactly except that she doesn't have any of the edge she had back then she's yeah just she's kind just of like whiny whiny and yeah. like
1: bratty yeah
0: Anyway, this is not a Rachel episode, but yeah, I I did want to let you mention that uh, the lost opportunity of Laura has two mommies, <sighs> and so then she pivots into Academy X, where she thankfully takes the focus away from Surge. <laughs>
1: I cannot believe that you've been shit talking, Serge. Okay, so right. <laughs> we have to.
0: So we have to actually. Now is probably a good time to mention. By the time you're hearing this, and Zoe and I were both contacted Clean, by guess. by Marvel Marketing beforehand. But by the time you're hearing this, it will no longer be under embargo. The X Men vote is now live, and when I saw Surge smack <laughs> in the middle of that graphic, I. Cackled. I could not stop laughing because I have devoted perhaps total, like at this point, two hours of this podcast to just shitting on this character because I hate her. Uh, even more time on Twitter.
1: Like, <laughs> like, you have been eviscerating this poor Listen, girl.
0: She's not a poor girl. She's a no, nasty she, she racist. No, she kind of deserves
1: it. She sucks.
0: Here's my thing I am backing Monet Sancroix in this X Men vote, personally. That's my choice.
1: I'm voting Armor.
0: Listen, there are many good candidates this go around. And I support whoever people want to support. When I saw Siren, I was so excited for Valentine. There are a lot of great characters this time around. I loved seeing Bling and Gentle getting some attention. Those are Academy X characters I really like. I mean, they're not Academy X characters really. Like they're sort of added later, They're in that generation. But they're in that generation. I like them. Micromax. So that made me, that was the other one that killed me. Because I, so no, true story, true story. Two weeks ago, I took Micromax off the Cerebro to-do list because I said no one is ever going to use Micromax again. More fool me. I'm sure that that was Al Ewing, and I love him for it.
1: Honestly, like, even funnier than Surge is Firestar. Micromax and there.
0: Firestar, who are traitors to mutant kind, historically.
1: You are constantly going, I am not doing a Firestar I know so She's not an X-Men character. I know. And, like, you you are, you are correct. She's a new... Mut- uh, new uh, a new, new Warriors, Warrior's character, character and an
0: Avengers character. But she keeps showing up. Well, and- what I do like, and if you vote Firestar, you're fucking dead to me, just to be clear. <laughs> but... <laughs> What I do like is that in the copy that Marvel released, it notes that Firestar has yet to accept Krakoan citizenship. And I think that is interesting because Mm -hmm. that tells you what the story would be, right? If she is the one chosen. Yeah, and that's a cool hook. And that's a cool hook. But please don't choose Firestar. There are many other ways we could have that story that don't involve putting her on the X-Men, a place she does not deserve to be. My thing is just like who nominated her? And my theory that I've come up with that I really like is that Emma did it just to be a troll. Oh God. She's like, you're still mad about the horse? Butter rum round two. The fucking horse? Angelica, really. That's my that's my read. But uh no, I'm I'm reading for Monet, but there are many good choices here. Um yeah. as long as you don't vote for Surge or Firestar, I think that you also honestly, I love Excalibur. I love Alan Davis Excalibur. Do not vote for MicroMax. He worked for no. one on like Sentinel Squad O-N-E. Like don't, it's a no. It's a no also for me. I will say if Gorgon had not been reset in Otherworld, I would be like, Gorgon, literally a Nazi, please don't. But as the slogan says on the poster, new year, new Gorgon, which made me laugh. It's like, this character's too fun. Let's get rid of the Hydra stuff, (laughs) which I get. I get
1: There you go. Like he's a fun character. Get rid of the baggage. You're fine. It made
0: me think like, can we kill Viper in Otherworld too? I love her, but you know, unfortunately- Not a mutant. She's
1: exactly the same, except just not a Nazi. Just
0: not a Nazi anymore! Yeah, who weird. Oh, it's the Viper from an alternate Earth, where she was never a Nazi. There's a lot of those characters where, like, unfortunately, they're introduced as Hydra agents, and then you just can't get away from that. And also, Dr. Nemesis is still here. (laughs) Dr. Nemesis, I actually, <laughs> he's one, not to get on a Nazi tangent, but Dr. Nemesis is one like Sinister where I can hand wave it because it is a retcon that is added mm-hmm. to the character much later in their publication history. And it's from a story that nobody cares about. I just think it's funny. To it is. Out. But Dr. Nemesis at least has a, like, they establish he has a crisis of conscience and fights Nazi Germany mm-hmm. and becomes a Nazi hunter. But he did initially work for them for a minute. Did. Not yeah. great you know, kind of a Kavita Rao moment of like, oops, I was doing evil genocidal stuff. I guess I should help the, you know. A bit of a Sarah Kenny moment. Well, there we go. And that brings us right back to Laura. The other thing I hated when it was coming out about the X-23 era of Academy X is like, I'm a huge Emma Frost fan. It's she's so poorly written. Yeah, I hate Fuck. how she's written in that book. And especially towards Laura. Specifically. It makes me so angry. Specifically, and it felt, and this is actually the same reaction I had to Rachel Gray, it felt mm. like these teenage girls we're supposed to identify with are specifically being used to demonize Emma as a character. Yeah, because... It just... Really turn me off. And the thing is, like Kyle and Yost do some good stuff with Emma in this book. The scene with Kimura, where she is... comes to Laura's defense, is an impeccable Emma scene. And the the, the scene where scene... she tells Carol to go fuck herself oh, is an that's impeccable like, that is an Emma all Emma time that's an all time moment. Emma yeah. Frost scene. So there's good stuff, but the, specifically the way she treats Laura is insane.
1: It's it's such a fundamental misunderstanding of who Emma is. Yes, because like if there is anyone Emma cares about. It is mutant children, oh, right? And if there's anyone Emma cares about more than just mutant children, it's it raped and traumatized abuse girls. young women. Yeah, yeah.
0: like I, I mean, th- there's really just it, it. Emma's backstory. If we put aside the Carl Bowler's ongoing, which I do because I don't like it and it contradicts her story, and I think her story is important. This is another case where did this female character need to have rape as a backstory? Probably not. But she does, and it's really important to the character, and taking it away is fucked up to me. Mm -hmm. Emma was a 14, 15-year-old girl abused in an institution that she was forced to be a patient in. Mm -hmm. There is no character she should be more sympathetic to than Than Laura. Yeah. And the way it felt so artificial to me... They justify it by saying Emma, and here's the thing, Emma's right about the trigger scent. Like, this is the yeah. problem with the trigger scent. Emma's like, she shouldn't be here because she's a liability. We can't mm-hmm. trust her because she can't control herself. She has no agency over her own behavior, and she mm-hmm. could turn on the other children and kill them at any moment. So that makes sense. That is all correct. That's all yeah. correct. The way she goes about just she, she, psychologically tormenting. torturing this teenage girl for no reason, like, like making making Laura see, making her, like, her hallucinate dead mom. her dead mother who she yeah. killed due to the trigger scent. To underline the trigger scent, not good. There's just something so petty and nasty about it that is not like Emma can be petty, but in a funny way and to like grown-ups.
1: Yeah, ne- never. It's did, not. Like, the- the meanest children. thing she'll do to a kid is like i don't know like
0: she'll say something that's a little insulting to them like she'll yeah she'll she'll like give the cuckoo shit if they're being rude mm-hmm. but she's not gonna psychologically torture children yeah. the one time she did that she killed she that horse, horse. She killed that horse <laughs> was not great it all comes back to butter run. but here's the thing that's like Cocaine years, supervillain Emma Frost. Like, there is no way that post-Morrison Emma Frost would behave this way. There's no way that post-Generation X Emma Frost would behave this way. It just doesn't track for me.
1: We've all had a phase of our lives where we would explode a horse to spite somebody.
0: I have exploded many a horse in my time, metaphorically <laughs> speaking. Like, we've all done things where we yeah. were mad at someone, we said something mean that we shouldn't have said, or, like, we did something really petty. We look back and we're like, I shouldn't have blown up that horse. I get it. I don't think Emma, circa 2005, Wouldn't would... not blow up the horse. No. Yeah. And I just don't buy the constant horse explosions that happen every time she interacts with Laura in this book. No. It changes
1: right at, like, the like the end of laura's time as like
0: it's the transition into x-force honestly like she leaves academy x goes into x-force because it's messiah complex is really what it is Mm -hmm. so there's that moment when she's dying and emma doesn't want to let emma says to julian you have to leave her Mm -hmm. and julian's like no and so emma accepts basically all right because Julian is like one of her favorite students Emma's a special boy right yeah he and Soraya really are like her top two I think in this period and I
1: mean Soraya great pick
0: yeah yeah I like Julian is the thing he's a little prick but he's a good character I also I think he's usually right I think history has really vindicated most of his political positions which is interesting mm. The one thing that is fucked up is the last scene between him and Laura, which is very fucked up. But he has been through a lot right before that happened and is, Mm. like, 18. So I'll let it go, probably. But we'll get there when we get there.
1: Yeah, there's a big moment with him and um, Laura in the solo series that I... I I a Hard to, to get past. Yeah,
0: we'll get yeah. there after the break, I think. We, yeah,
1: we're still, we've been doing this for almost an hour. And we're we gotta, still in yeah, the Academy X. I was X. just thinking yeah.
0: so basically, Academy X. We've talked about this a little bit in the Soraya episode. She comes in, is Soraya's new roommate, replacing Serge. They're great together. Soraya and Laura are fantastic. There's a particularly great sequence that, again, we talked about in the Soraya episode, so go back to that if you haven't heard it. But Laura knows that Soraya is walking into a trap, refuses to let her walk into the trap, knocks her out because Laura is a physical problem solver (laughs) Mm. (laughs) because she doesn't really know how to communicate that well ends up taking soraya's place taking the bullet meant for her and when she comes back to the school to help save them all from the purifiers and has mostly killed them all already so it hmm. worked out okay is like you went in my place you took the hit and laura says i do not think allah wanted you to die today
1: mm-hmm. and
0: i think that it's just Reading this stuff, honestly, is what made me really appreciate this character because I was so turned off by the Surge and Soraya plot that having Soraya get a new roommate who actually Please. is yeah. respectful of her. And here's the thing. Laura is an atheist. Laura doesn't understand. Mm. Laura I mean, Laura's been through enough shit from birth that, like, God can't exist Eh, because this wouldn't have happened to me, right? Like a loving God wouldn't have let this happen is the subtext that I get out of it. But she's respectful enough that when she's explaining to Soraya, I didn't want you to die. She frames it. She frames it in, you're not supposed to die. And I know that Allah, like she doesn't say God, she specifies, she uses the Arabic word, would not want you to die.
1: And and it's especially nice because their first scene together is like, Oh this could go bad. This could Cause, go badly. Yeah, cuz it cuz it like
0: Sera is afraid of her because she's killed so many people.
1: And and also um uh, Laura recognizes like she's like, "Oh, yeah, I recognize where you're from." And I goes, Oh, are you familiar? She goes, Yes, I've killed I've killed
0: there. lots of people there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In Afghanistan. So yeah. it could have gone really badly, but instead it becomes one of the more touching friendships in that book. And unfortunately, when Messiah Complex rolls around, which I love Messiah Complex. Great. So don't get me wrong. One of the best X Men events there yeah, is. Yeah,
1: rereading it, like for the, I was just like, shit, this rules. It's Ooh, so good. Yeah. Like,
0: of all, you know, Decimation, not my favorite period of the X Men, to say the least, mm-hmm. but Messiah Complex is great. That's where the school gets disbanded because of the death of Charles Xavier, the apparent death of Charles Xavier. Scott, like, can't deal and is like, the school is closed. But Wolverine keeps X-Force going, which Laura is secretly part of, has been secretly part of, over Logan's objections. It was Scott's decision.
1: Something that I really hope gets addressed in X-Men is I think Scott Summers is absolutely one of Laura's abusers, not in the same way as some of her more potent abusers, but during this whole period, Scott is going, "No, she's a weapon. We have to use the weapon." We like he he uses her, he views her as a tool. While Wolverine is going, "This girl, this is a right person. We have to," and the trauma she goes through with X Force, which is dark.
0: Mm-hmm. That is a that's a dark, dark and grim book. Yeah.
1: I don't think that has ever truly been dealt with, that she should have a lot of baggage with Scott Summers.
0: I would say there's a moment, I forget exactly when it is, but there's a moment like in the Utopia era where I think it's Emma who's just sort of like...
1: Emma definitely talks to him about it. She's it's, it's like, in, Scott, yeah. we've
0: been using her the same way that the facility did. Yeah,
1: no, that Emma definitely has it because there's a big, like, Emma realizes, oh, I've been treating... Laura fucking terribly.
0: Right. But yeah, I mean, I think it's hard because the context of the decimation is hard. Yeah. The problem with the schism is that I think Cyclops is right, but Mm. Wolverine's position of you're turning these children into soldiers and it's wrong is born primarily out of how upset he is about Laura being used in X-Force. So it's complicated because in that case, I think Wolverine's right. I think he's Mm. right about Laura. I but think then that, later
1: on, it's, yeah, yeah, I know.
0: So it's tricky. I just want. You a want to see of, a conversation. I want a, to see uh, yeah.
1: Laura confront Scott. Like, they don't have to hate each other. They don't have to, like, I, it, it is something that has never been properly dealt with. And I think she's in a place where that could be a very interesting conversation. Well,
0: and I think the vault could be a good time to talk about it, like mm-hmm. dealing with the vault, because they sent her into the vault again as a tool. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and Scott is also like, oh my God, what have I done? These poor people. And she's right. like, hey, where were you with that 10 years
0: ago? Exactly. When I, was a I think that that would be a good moment for her to say to him, like, you've always used me as a tool, mm-hmm. in fact. And they could have sort of a bit of a reckoning about that. Yeah. I think that would be good. But it's hard because it's a comics about comics problem where sometimes it's yeah. hard to revisit stories that are really old at this point which is crazy to think about them being really old, but that was almost 20 it's years 15, ago.
1: Yeah, it's a 15-year-old comic Yeah.
0: Book. I think now, before we get into X-Force and what comes after, is a good time to pause for the Cerebro character file yeah. on Laura Kinney. I will take you from her comic book origins in NYX up through Jerry Duggan and Pepe LeRoss' current run of X-Men, and then we will come back for more with Zoe Tunnell. We will talk about Zoe's favorite Laura stories. Yeah. Because I think we've already covered the stuff that we don't like so much for the most part. Well,
1: we've got X-Force, but then after
0: that. Sure, sure. Then we will go straight into questions from listeners like you because we got a bunch of them and I want to get through a bunch of them if we can. Hell yeah. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. X-Men, X-Men. Hey everybody, we're doing things a little differently today because I'm excited, as Connor Goldsmith, your host, to tell you about the podcast's extraordinary new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is an incredible mobile game every comic fan's dream. In this Mobile Squad RPG, you can assemble a team of your favorite superheroes and supervillains, like Dr. Lorna Dane and the iconic Madeline Jennifer Pryor, to save the universe from cosmic threats like Apocalypse and Dr. Doom. Power up your favorite Marvel characters to complete missions, unlock special gear and other resources, and battle other Marvel fans in PvP modes like Alliance War and the real-time arena. Right now, Marvel Strike Force is celebrating their six-year anniversary with a special Deadpool event, and you can sign up using my unique link, available right now in the description of every episode. You'll get free stuff in the game just for signing up through this promotion, with weekly bonuses and events all through this anniversary storyline. Log in every day to get special skins, rewards, and the brand new characters being released to celebrate six years of Marvel Strike Force. This is the game's most generous event to date, and I for one can't wait to see all the goodies I can unlock. This promo code works for every new user. Please follow the unique link in this episode description to download Marvel Strike Force so they'll know I sent you. Use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Have a blast with this immersive Marvel experience. Thanks to Marvel Entertainment and the team at Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode, we now return you to the show. X-Men! X-Men! Laura Kinney, best known as X-23, but more recently inheriting the codename Wolverine, is one of the most popular X-Men characters introduced in the 21st century. First debuting in 2003 in the cartoon X-Men Evolution, where she's called only X-23, Laura was created by Craig Kyle and Christopher Yost, before being adapted into the comics by Joe Quesada and Joshua Middleton in the 2004 series NYX. She is a female clone of the original Wolverine, Logan, and was brainwashed and tortured from birth to become a merciless assassin. After escaping her creators, she first joined the Academy X-Class and then joined the Black Ops team X-Force. After Logan's death and the 2014 event death of Wolverine, Laura took on his codename and began operating as Wolverine herself. Since his return in 2018's hunt for Wolverine, they have generally shared the mantle. I'm going to start off by saying there are a lot of X-23 comics. I'm going to skim over anything that isn't specifically X-Men related because otherwise we will be here forever. Laura Kinney makes her comics debut in the third issue of NYX, a mature reader's Marvel title set in Manhattan's District X, aka Mutant Town. Here she's depicted as a chronically self-harming, mostly silent young teenage girl who has been trafficked into prostitution by a pimp called Zebra Daddy. Her claws and healing factor have made her of a special interest to set Over the course of the series, she's rescued from her situation by a group led by a mutant teenager named Kaiden Nixon. When Zebra Daddy tries to kill Kaiden, Laura murders him. During the run of NYX, which was frequently delayed and eventually cut down into a limited series, the character also began appearing in Chris Claremont's return to Uncanny X-Men, beginning in issue 450. In this story, set after the events of NYX, Laura has become a waitress in Mutantown. She's discovered by the X-Men, and when it's revealed that she killed some men who were threatening her friends, Logan decides it's his responsibility to bring the girl to the Xavier School. She spends some time with the X-Men, bonding with Kitty Pride, Rachel Summers, and Betsy Braddock, but this story sort of peters out, as her creators Craig Kyle and Christopher Yost, impressing Marvel with the success of X-Men Evolution, were asked to reintroduce the character to the comics. Thus begins a flashback miniseries called X-23, written by Kyle and Yost with art by Billy Tan. It's established back in the classic Weapon X story where Logan escaped from the scientists experimenting on him. One of the men he killed in his berserker rage was a geneticist who managed to get a sample of Logan's DNA to his colleague, Dr. Martin Sutter. Sutter then raised the murdered man's son, Xander, as his own. Many years later, Dr. Sutter and Xander, now Dr. Xander Rice, had recreated the Weapon X project in a new operation called The Facility. Unable to find a candidate who could survive the adamantium bonding process and become a new Weapon X, Sutter and Rice hired Dr. Sarah Kinney, a famous geneticist who had helped to map the mutant genome, and asked her to make a clone from the DNA sample of Logan they possessed. Sarah Kinney, an amoral woman concerned only with the pursuit of scientific discovery, took to the task eagerly. When she realized the DNA sample's Y chromosome was too damaged to be accurately recreated, she suggested replicating the X chromosome and creating a female clone instead. Sutter and Rice weren't interested in that, but Kinney proceeded with her project anyway, failing 22 times before at last successfully creating a female clone of Logan, which was given the designation X-23. Dr. Rice was outraged that she'd gone behind their backs, and while Dr. Sutter approved the continuation of the X-23 project, Rice insisted that Sarah Kinney carry the child herself as revenge for her disrespect. Kinney found herself rebelling against the facility's intent for the baby even before it was born, Instead of reading The Art of War to her unborn fetus, Kinney secretly read to her from Pinocchio. Get it? Anyway, the baby was born with two little claws on each hand and a little claw on each foot. X-23 was conditioned from birth to be an emotionless killer, and over Dr. Kinney's objections, Dr. Rice used radiation to forcibly manifest X-23's healing factor early, when she was still a small child. Dr. Rice, obsessed with revenge on Logan because of his father's death, spent years torturing the girl physically and emotionally, eventually surgically removing her claws without the use of any anesthetic so that he could bond them with adamantium and then reimplant them. Brainwashed to kill instinctively at the presence of a trigger scent, X-23 was forced to murder her martial arts teacher Tanaka as a test of the programming. Tanaka was the only person at the facility besides her surrogate mother who had ever been kind to her. Her assassination services were then sold to the highest bidder. Brutally efficient, she never failed in any of her assignments, which infuriated Dr. Rice. He arranged to have the girl killed in battle, mocking her to her face, but was aghast when she made it back to the facility alive. X-23 did not tell Dr. Kinney what Dr. Rice had done, but instead began privately self-harming, cutting herself with her claws and watching the wounds heal. Dr. Kinney had grown disgusted with the facility's use of X-23 as a weapon, but ended up weaponizing X-23 herself when her niece Megan was kidnapped. X-23 killed the kidnapper and returned Megan to her mother, Dr. Kinney's sister Debbie. Dr. Rice then ordered X-23 to murder his adoptive father, Dr. Sutter, director of the facility, and his wife, so that Dr. Rice could seize control of the project. X-23 killed the Sutters, but managed to resist the directive to kill their son, a child named Henry. Actually, Dr. Rice's biological son, but don't worry about it. While she was unable to communicate what had happened due to her programming, Laura used a photograph of the Sutters to tip off Dr. Kinney. Sarah Kinney, realizing their lives were in danger, decided she had to get X-23 out. When Kinney discovered Dr. Rice was making a whole fleet of X-23 clones, she tasked her surrogate daughter with a final mission, the murder of Dr. Rice and the destruction of his cloning apparatus. She also confessed her own guilt in the endless torture that had been X-23's life. X-23 eagerly killed Dr. Rice, requiring no programming to do that. But when she reunited with Dr. Kinney, they realized she'd been tagged by Dr. Rice before his death with the trigger scent. Unable to control herself, X-23 stabbed Dr. Kinney to death with her claws. Dying, Sarah Kinney told X-23 she loved her and gave her a name, Laura. Overlapping with this miniseries, Laura continues to appear in Claremont's Uncanny and makes a few appearances in books like Marvel Team-Up, where she meets Spider-Man, and a Captain Universe X-23 one-shot, where she briefly becomes Captain Universe. Do not worry about this. In the wake of the Decimation, during which all but about 200 mutants worldwide are depowered by the Scarlet Witch, Laura is one of those to remain a mutant. She joins the cast of the New X-Men Academy X under new writers Craig Kyle and Christopher Yost, coming off the success of their X-23 miniseries, and arguably becomes the lead character. Xavier's school headmistress Emma Frost doesn't trust Laura because of the trigger scent and doesn't want her at the school, but Laura quickly bonds with her new roommate, Afghan refugee Suraya Qadir, codenamed Dust. While Emma telepathically attempts to prevent Laura from winning a spot on the New X-Men training squad, she's aided by telekinetic Julian Keller, aka Hellion, Emma's prized pupil. When Emma still refuses to put Laura on the squad, co-headmaster Cyclops overrules her. Shortly thereafter, the anti-mutant organization called the Purifiers attacks the school, murdering most of the decimated student body. Through the use of super-sentinel Nimrod technology, their leader Reverend William Stryker has gleaned some knowledge of events to come, and targets Seraya for elimination. Laura conks out Seraya and takes her place as bait, surviving a sniper attack due to her healing factor. She returns to the school to help Seraya and the others battle the Purifiers. Stryker is killed by Laura's classmate Josh Foley, a.k.a. Elixir, but his Nimrod sentinel remains and tries to use the X-Men's ally Forge to repair itself. Forge sends a distress call to the X-Men, but it's intercepted by Laura and her classmates, who decide to get revenge themselves. Teaming up with Surge and Mercury, Laura destroys the Nimrod, but she's grievously injured beyond her healing factor's ability to repair. Hellion telepathically begs Emma for help, and Emma begrudgingly boosts his telekinesis from afar, allowing him to fly back to the school fast enough for Elixir to save Laura's life with his healing powers. Around this time, Kyle and Yost launch a second flashback miniseries, X-23 Target X, with art by Mike Choi. This series picks up directly after the events of the first X-23 miniseries, with Laura recounting her life to Captain America and Daredevil after being taken into S.H.I.E.L.D. custody. After the death of Sarah Kinney, Laura was intercepted by soldiers led by the facility operative Kimura, a genetically modified woman with indestructible skin, who had sadistically supervised much of Laura's torture in the facility. Flashbacks show us more of the unrelenting torture and horror that was Laura's childhood, further developing Kimura as a major antagonist. Eventually, still a pre-adolescent child, Laura was tasked with her first mission, the assassination of presidential candidate Greg Johnson and his entire family. Pretending to be a victim of the attack, she was rescued by Captain America, who left her with paramedics. She then murdered the paramedics and escaped. Years later, after the death of Sarah Kinney, Laura escaped from Kimura at the facility and fled to San Francisco, where she reunited with Sarah's sister Debbie and niece Megan. The Kinneys accepted Laura as one of their own, still grateful for her help rescuing Megan from the kidnapping years earlier, and Megan tried to help Laura acclimate to a normal teenage life. Debbie's new boyfriend Desmond turned out to be a spy for the facility, and tried to make Laura kill Debbie and Megan with the trigger scent. They were then attacked by Kimura and her men, and Kimura easily defeated Laura, who was programmed not to harm her. Kimura tortured Megan, declaring her intent to murder Debbie and Megan slowly in front of Laura, but Laura cut off her own hand to free herself from a pair of adamantium handcuffs. She rescued Debbie and Megan and helped them start new lives in Canada, refusing to join them for their own safety. Laura then tracked down Wolverine, attacking him because she blamed him for her creation. Logan had actually received a copy of Sarah Kitty's journal and let the girl hurt him, but refused to let her carry out her plan to kill him and then herself. He told her she could be more than a weapon, as Sarah had wanted, and was about to invite her to Xavier's when they were intercepted by S.H.I.E.L.D. and she was arrested by Captain America. We return to the framing device of her explaining herself to Cap and Daredevil, and we learn that Daredevil advised Cap to let her go, as she was an innocent and S.H.I.E.L.D. would weaponize her just as the facility had. Back in the present, in Academy X, Laura starts to develop romantic feelings for Hellion after he nearly died saving her life. She goes for coffee with her classmate Mercury to discuss it, but they're attacked by Kimura, who, much to Laura's surprise, kidnaps Mercury rather than targeting Laura herself. Laura and Hellion team up to rescue Mercury from the facility, where they discover that the Purifiers hired the facility to create a mutant-killing monster called Predator X. The facility's been torturing Mercury and using pieces of her metal skin to create the creature. Laura blames herself for Mercury getting caught up in all of this, but Mercury is devastated to realize this traumatic experience is what Laura experienced for her entire childhood. When Kimura tracks him to Xavier's and prepares to shoot Laura with a sniper rifle, she's met by Emma Frost, who's been moved by Laura's heroism. Rather than kill Kimura, Emma punishes the woman by invading her mind and deleting her only happy memory, the existence of her grandmother. In a storyline quest for magic, Laura and her classmates are dragged to the hell dimension limbo by the demon sorcerer Belasco. Belasco claims Laura has no soul worth taking, as she's an artificial construct of science, and he kills and resurrects her to demonstrate his magical power. After the teens return to the school, Laura has a panic attack when she witnesses romantic drama unfolding between Hellion, Serge, and Prodigy. She runs to the bathroom and begins brutally cutting herself, only to be discovered by Mercury, who comforts her. The franchise-wide event Messiah Complex kicks off with the birth of the so-called mutant Messiah, the first mutant baby born after the decimation, as various factions battle for custody of her. Laura and her classmates object to being kept away from the action, especially once they learn the purifiers are involved. Without permission, they attack Purifier Headquarters, where they're met by Lady Deathstrike and the Reavers. Deathstrike nearly kills Hellion, and the kids barely manage to escape. In an effort to track down Cable, who has secured the baby messiah, Cyclops forms a new Black Ops X-Force team. He assigns Laura and Logan to the squad as they have tracking abilities, and they find Cable engaged in battle with Lady Deathstrike. Deathstrike attacks Logan, but he steps aside to let Laura fight her. Still enraged that Deathstrike had hurt Hellion, Laura kills her in single combat. In the event's climax, when Professor Xavier is apparently killed, Cyclops disbands the X-Men and closes the Xavier school. Secretly, he continues to direct the Black Ops X-Force Squad, which stars in a relaunch of X-Force written by Kyle and Yost. Logan objects to Laura being on the team, as he wants her to learn to be more than a weapon, but Cyclops insists they must use all the resources available to them. Dispatched to kill the Purifier leader Matthew Brisman, Laura fails to prevent him from kidnapping her new teammate Rain Sinclair, aka Wolfsbane. When they recover Rain, Logan berates Laura for saying something is wrong with her. It turns out Laura's absolutely right, and a brainwashed Rain attacks and mutilates Warren Worthington III, the X-Man Angel. Laura decides not to attack Rain, and instead lets Rain rip her to pieces, knowing her healing factor will bring her back. When her old classmate Elixir is caught up in X-Force's classified adventures, Laura tries to get him out, but he becomes essential to their next mission. The classic villain The Vanisher has stolen a sample of the thought-eradicated Legacy Virus, and X-Force is tasked with retrieving and destroying it. Laura becomes infected on the mission, and tries to kill herself rather than succumb to a wasting disease, but Elixir convinces her to trust him. He manages to use his Omega-level healing power to purge the legacy virus from her system. Meanwhile, Bastion's back. Don't worry about Bastion, he's from the 90s, and he uses the technoorganic virus to resurrect anti-mutant bigots who died, including a woman called the Leper Queen. The Leper Queen kidnaps Hellion and Surge, infuriating Laura, but before Laura can rescue them, the group is pulled through time into the future by Cyclops, as Cable and the mutant Messiah, now a little girl he's named Hope, have been found. While X-Force retrieves Cable and Hope, they find their time travel devices won't allow them to return to the past due to an anomaly. It turns out in this dystopian future, Laura's old friend Kaiden Nixon has been weaponized and tortured into using her time manipulation powers to create this anomaly, and Kaiden begs Laura to kill her. Laura can't bring herself to do it, and is spared by her teammate Domino, who does the mercy killing herself. They then return to the past right at the moment they left, where they're able to save their friends. Laura passes out from the stress of time travel, and is captured by an operative of the facility, who brings her to Kimura. Kimura chops off Laura's arm with a chainsaw, but Laura manages to team up with Hammer Agent Alisanne Morales to escape. Morales, who'd been investigating Laura, is so disturbed by the story of Laura's life that she decides to wipe all record of Laura from the U.S. government's files. Recovering from her latest trauma on the Mutant Haven utopia, Laura recedes into the background for a while, though she participates in the franchise-wide events Necrotia and Second Coming. When the existence of X-Force is revealed to the X-Men at large, who are aghast, the group is disbanded, but Logan secretly reforms it. He elects not to recruit Laura to his new iteration, hoping she will finally lead a normal life. She then appears in the miniseries Pixie Strikes Back, which is fun. Check out the Pixie episode for more on that. In a 2010 X-23 one-shot written by Marjorie Liu... Laura teams up with Logan and his decimated former sidekick Jubilee to investigate recent disappearances of decimated mutants. Reuniting with Kaiden Nixon, she winds up attacked by the Games Master, another character from the 90s you do not need to worry about. What matters is that this one shot was successful and led to an X-23 ongoing written by Liu later that year. Iced out by her friends over her work with X-Force, with only Dust and Hellion standing by her, Laura is surprised when Cyclops, after some discussion with Emma and Storm, agrees that he's been using Laura as a tool the same way the facility did. Laura goes to stay at a halfway house for the Decimated, theoretically to do charity work. But then Wolverine gets sent to Hell in the event Wolverine goes to Hell, and Logan is replaced by a demon possessing his body. Demonic stuff ensues, do not worry about this. Eventually, Laura stabs demon Logan in front of Hellion, who thinks she's lost her mind. The demon takes advantage of the confusion to drag Laura into her own mind in an effort to convince her she's nothing but a weapon. But she actually finds clarity in the experience. She finally realizes the facility did that to her. It isn't her nature. When her instructors debate over where she should go next, Laura decides to leave Utopia herself, though Storm tells her she will always be welcome there. Logan, meanwhile, formally adopts Laura as his daughter. After trying and failing to save a young girl named Alice, who was trafficked into prostitution as she once had been, Laura murders the girl's abusive pimp and is approached by Gambit, who's been keeping tabs on her since she left Utopia. Laura and Gambit end up discovering the machinations of Miss Sinister, the lady Mr. Sinister. Do not worry about her right now, but she's fun. Anyway, Miss Sinister is working with Malcolm Colcord, the former director of the Weapon X Project, who wants to revive it. Alice was actually one of many clones Miss Sinister produced as part of that work. She's also interested in Laura for her own reasons. The process that transformed Miss Sinister into a Sinister is overtaking her body, and soon she will be possessed by Nathaniel Essex's personality. Miss Sidister intends to circumvent this by possessing Laura's body herself, but Laura proves indomitable. Now aware that Malcolm Colcourt is rebuilding Weapon X, Laura and Gambit go to Madripoor to seek help from the crime lord Jesson Han, a.k.a. Tiger Tiger. Tiger's seat of power has been seized by Daken, Logan's son, and Laura makes Daken aware of her existence in order to intrigue him. Dakin wants his sister, Laura, to join his operation, but she refuses him. Still, they end up teaming up to apparently kill Malcolm Colcord once and for all, in an effort to finally free X-Men fans from the grim specter of Frank Thierry's Weapon X. Sadly, he gets better. Anyway, while attacking Colcord, Laura manages to find a list of people she killed while working for the facility. This sends her spiraling into a deep depression, and she begins self-harming again. Gambit, concerned, contacts Logan, who arrives with Jubilee. Jubilee's a vampire now, by the way, and is really struggling with it. Laura cuts her own throat to compel Jubilee to drink, which upsets Jubilee, who's been trying to deny what's happened to her. After this experience, though, the two begin bonding, and honestly, this is pretty clearly a romance plot. It just never officially goes there on the page. Anyway, some bad guys have been selling the trigger scent on the black market, and Laura is upset about the possibility she might kill innocents. In the end, she learns about a boy named Alex Cimini, who she managed to resist killing while brainwashed, despite killing his parents. This is not Henry Sutter, the boy from a similar plot in the Flashback miniseries. Anyway, learning about Alex makes Laura feel better, because she realizes she was always a little bit in control. Then there's the whole thing with the Fantastic Four here that you absolutely do not need to worry about. After the 2011 schism between Wolverine and Cyclops, Laura visits her father's new school in Westchester, and has a confrontation with Helene, where he castigates her for abandoning him. Then there's more stuff with the Fantastic Four, and you still don't need to worry about it. Hellion kisses Laura for the first time, but she's just not feeling it anymore. She continues to hang out at the new Jean Grey school to figure out where she stands on the schism. And after she and Jubilee team up with the Black Widow to liberate some sex-trafficked women, Black Widow offers Laura a place at the new Avengers Academy. Logan and Gambit encourage her to go, so she does. There's a Venom and Ghost Rider team-up story around here that I simply refuse to recap, but check it out if you want. Blackheart's in it. Love Blackheart. Anyway, she turns up at Avengers Academy and becomes a student because, I don't know, I guess maybe they wanted more people to buy Avengers Academy. She mostly just hangs out there until Avengers vs. X-Men, when the Avengers capture the X-Men students and imprison them at the Academy for their own good. Logan chooses the side of the Avengers and asks Laura to help him get through to her former classmates. This pisses her off because she really wanted to stay out of it. After talking to her friend Soraya, Laura understands the mutant students need to be freed to make their own choices and manages to secure their release. Yada, 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 this is not an Avengers Academy podcast. We will go over anything you need to know after the break in the regular episode. I'm just not going to get into it here. I'm sorry. The big thing is that she thinks she killed somebody in a berserker state, but actually she was unconscious and her friend Finesse used her claw to do it. This makes Laura feel violated, understandably. As Avengers Academy draws to a close, it pivots into Avengers Arena, written by Dennis Hopeless, where the kids are thrown by the villain Arcade into a murder world Hunger Games scenario. Laura is one of those who survive, but she's left, once again, very traumatized. She pivots from there directly into Brian Michael Bendis' all-new X-Men, where she teams up with the time-lost O5 to fight the Purifiers and ends up formally joining their team. Lots of stuff you don't have to worry about happens in this run, honestly. Laura starts dating teen Warren Worthington. They briefly go to the Ultimate Universe, where she meets Logan's son from that universe, Jimmy Hudson. Definitely do not worry about that. Then comes Death of Wolverine, in which Logan is killed, leaving Laura devastated. In the ongoing series Wolverines, written by Charles Soule, she ends up captured by yet another Weapon X revival, alongside Daken, Sabretooth, Lady Deathstrike, Elixir, and Mystique. Absolutely none of this is stuff you need to know. Are you getting that I'm exhausted? I am exhausted, guys. There are so many X-23 comics. Anyway, Laura and Daken bond more as siblings, which I guess is cute. They fight with Mr. Sinister over custody of Logan's corpse, and eventually it turns out Mystique is playing everybody because of course she is. She's trying to resurrect her lover, Destiny, but it turns out Destiny arranged things in an attempt to resurrect Logan instead. Mystique, feeling petty, makes sure that doesn't happen either. Meanwhile, back in All-New X-Men, Laura is pissed after Teen Warren volunteers to be evolved by the cosmic relic called the Black Vortex. Do not worry about it. In 2016, Laura stars in her second ongoing series, All-New Wolverine by Tom Taylor and David Lopez. Donning an altered costume of Logan's and adopting the codename Wolverine herself, Laura swears an oath never to kill again in order to honor her father's memory. In the first issue, she started to discover that an enemy sniper killed in battle has her own face. It turns out that the pharmaceutical conglomerate Alchemax has produced a number of clones of Laura and have been recreating the facility's experiments. Four clones survived, and they've escaped to seek vengeance on Alchemax. Laura, feeling responsible for the carnage, decides to track down the three remaining clones and stop them. At her apartment, though, she discovers one of the clones, Little Gabby, an affable younger version of Laura who tipped off Laura in the first place. Gabby asks Laura to help the clones get revenge on Alchemax, and Laura meets the other surviving clones, Bellina and Zelda. Zelda dies not long afterward, in part due to Alchemax's experiment shortening her lifespan. Laura bonds with little Gabby, and while Bellina strikes off on her own to a violent destiny, Gabby tries to stop killing, inspired by Laura. While initially Laura wants to find little Gabby an adoptive home, she eventually decides that they can live together as a family. Inhumans vs. X-Men pops off around here, and we are going to skip it, as always. Teen Angel dumps Laura, that's all you need to know. Back in All-New Wolverine, Laura and little Gabby meet old man Logan, a Logan from an alternate universe who is hanging around on Earth 616 now because Marvel truly would not let Logan stay dead for more than a couple months. Laura and Warren get back together around here, but don't worry about it. There's a lot of trigger-sent intrigue. It turns out Kimura is back. Remember, Kimura and Bellina is working for her. Laura thinks she's been trigger-scented into massacring a town of people, which obviously upsets her. By threatening her Aunt Debbie and cousin Megan, Kimura blackmails Laura into helping her take over Madripoor. Laura agrees to assassinate Tiger Tiger, but manages to restrain herself despite being activated by the trigger scent. Realizing Laura has grown stronger, little Gabby and teen Jean work together to break Laura's trigger scent conditioning. Finally, Laura decides her no-killing policy should have one exception, and she drowns Kimura in the fucking ocean. It rules. She then decides to turn herself into SHIELD for trigger scent murdering that town of people, but it turns out Bellina did it. Laura had actually resisted the trigger-sent impulse. Bellina is taken into S.H.I.E.L.D. custody, and Laura decides to take little Gabby to meet Debbie and Megan Kinney. There's an alien virus plot you don't really have to worry about, but it leaves Laura real fucked up, and leads to a big conflict with the Brood, where little Gabby gets turned into a Brood Queen. Laura's friends stress to her that someone transformed into a Brood Queen cannot be saved, but Laura refuses to believe Gabby is gone. It turns out Gabby's healing factor has regenerated her regular body inside the Brood Queen, and she explodes out of it, which is pretty fun. Returning to the facility after a mysterious note, and Daken's severed arm suggests she has unfinished business there, Laura is shocked to discover Sarah Kinney apparently alive. Sarah says she was in suspended animation, but was awoken and interrogated about the Muramasa Blade, a mystical weapon that disables healing factors. It turns out the group seeking the blade is called the Orphans of X, and Daken explains they tortured him for information. Daken then murders Sarah Kinney, who turns out to be a remote-controlled evil clone. Clone Sarah, as she dies, reveals that the orphans of X are the loved ones of people murdered by Laura during her time at the facility. Traveling to Japan, Laura contacts the legendary Muramasa himself, who offers to make her a suit of armor. She, Daken, and little Gabby all give up tiny pieces of their souls to create the armor, which she uses to defeat the orphans. Their leader turns out to be Henry Sutter, Martin Sutter's son, whom she spared way back in the first X-23 miniseries. Laura apologizes to the orphans, grieving their losses while also stressing that she too was a victim of the facility. She vows to beat out justice on everyone who hired her services during her time as a brainwashed assassin, and begins working with the orphans to bring those people to justice. All-New Wolverine draws to a close with a possible future timeline story, and Laura and little Gabby pivot into X-Men Red, also written by Tom Taylor. They're supporting characters here, but they team up with the resurrected Jean Grey to battle Cassandra Nova and are, like, around. In the 2018 event Hunt for Wolverine, Laura finds out in a retcon that Sarah Kinney was actually her biological mother. The sample of Logan's DNA had been so damaged that Sarah had to use her own DNA to fill gaps, and Laura has never truly been a clone of Logan. By the end of the event, Logan returns to life, and Laura returns for a little while to the codename X-23, starring in a new ongoing by that title written by Mariko Tamaki. In this book, Laura and little Gabby fight to get samples of Logan's DNA off the black market, and then have a conflict with the Stepford Cuckoos, who hope to use Gabby's body to resurrect their dead sister Esme. After that's sorted out, Laura discovers a number of new X-23 clones have been created, these ones twisted cyborgs, and they're being deployed all over the world for wet work. It turns out to be Dr. Chandler, the same evil scientist from Alchemax, whose life Laura had previously spared during all-new Wolverine. Laura devotes herself to hunting down and destroying any cloning apparatus that's using her DNA, as well as the clones, Little Gabby, who thinks they should be helping the clones, eventually abandons Laura, upset that Laura apparently doesn't see clones of herself, like Gabby, as real people. Laura sees her perspective, and the two reconcile. Then comes Age of X-Man, which you don't have to worry about, and leads into the 2019 soft reboot House of X and Powers of Ten by writer Jonathan Hickman, in which Laura is one of countless characters to become a citizen of the new mutant sovereign nation on the living island Krakoa. She first appears in the series Fallen Angels by Brian Edward Hill and Simon Kudransky, where she's uneasy in the new paradise of Krakoa. She winds up tapped by Conan, the new Psylocke, to help stop an evil AI's drug and slavery ring. Don't worry about it, honestly. After that, in Jonathan Hickman's run on X-Men, Laura is chosen alongside Sink and Darwin for a mission into the Vault, the time-dilated artificial intelligence hub that is home to the mysterious children of the Vault. Her healing factor and functional immortality make her an obvious choice for this task. They spend about a thousand years battling the children of the Vault, with little time passing outside. Laura and Sink fall in love over centuries together, but in the end she sacrifices her own life to enable him to escape with the knowledge they've gained. When they're both resurrected on Krakoa, only Sink can remember the love they shared. Hailed as heroes for their work in the vault, even though Laura cannot remember it, Laura and Sink are elected to the first Krakoan X-Men team at the Hellfire Gala. They now serve as regular characters in X-Men by Jerry Duggan and Pepe LeRat, in which Laura is fully blossoming to the superhero she always knew she could be. Not a weapon, a Wolverine. X-Men, X-Men! And we're back. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope I got all the retcons in the right place because... There's a lot of them. Any Wolverine is going to be a tough one there when you're doing publication order because they love to just throw a flashback at you. We left off with X-Force. I think we could talk briefly about this and why you're not super fond of it. And then we could move on to the stories that you do really like.
1: Yeah, (laughs) because... X Force is really like, it's just a flavor of story that is not my personal cup of tea. But with Laura specifically, it feels like it is retreading things that we have already established with her multiple times over mm-hmm. and very gratuitously because X Force is the blood and sex. And it violence, feels like
0: torture porn a lot of the time to so. me. And this is that era of filmmaking. It's very much like that kind of It's the book. sucker punch. Yeah. Of- Yeah. This book does it to her. It does it to Wolfsbane. It does it Mm -hmm. to Elixir. It does it to Angel. Every character, I feel like Warpath gets it less a little bit. Like horrible things happen to him, but less. But it's emotionally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas the physical traumas that these other characters undergo are very visceral, very unpleasant. Laura literally lets Rain rip her to pieces at one point.
1: And then there's that that bit I mentioned earlier where it's like, oh, here's this beautifully drawn girl with her arm chopped off. Chopped off, and, like, her right? Detail yeah. is in X Force. Yeah.
0: There's some interesting interplay here between her and Elixir. They kind of have an interesting relationship. Yeah, here.
1: there there's kind of a, a nice moment where like Laura was ready to commit suicide. She was going to kill herself yeah. because
0: she got infected with the Legacy, with the, virus, legacy virus sample. Yeah. So the legacy virus was cured by Colossus back in 2000, but there are samples of it that are active and it's been hyper. Whatever. like This is a recurring thing in this plot. The leper queen ends up, and don't worry about the leper queen. She ends up really mutating it further to turn it into a biological weapon that becomes a bomb. None of that really matters. But there's a moment where Laura is infected with the legacy virus, refuses to die of a wasting illness, and mm-hmm. is going to kill herself. Jump into,
1: a, like, a Terminator 2 furnace. Yeah, yeah.
0: And Elixir stops her, and he is actually able to cure the legacy virus because of his omega level healing power. He manages to purge it from her body because, like, she trusts him and they connect. It's It's a good bit.
1: It's the first big moment of Laura, like, being proven wrong, like, you are more than the mission,
0: right? You, are, you shouldn't you be sacrificing person. yourself yeah. all the time. And it's weird because, like, Logan is always mad that Scott is having her act as a weapon, but it's him who really does a number on her about Rain. Like when Rain's yep. been captured, he is like, Rain is a good person. She's like innocent. She's and better than us. She's like he, not he... like you and me. Yeah, he puts Laura on his level, mm-hmm, which I not great parenting let's say the
1: reason i find laura far more fascinating than logan and it's something she comes into later but is that logan has spent decades trying to clean the blood from his hands because he feels guilty over what he did laura has eventually after this comes to accept that it was never her that none of it was her fault right she just wants justice for what was done
0: see and that This is interesting that you're identifying that distinction because that's what makes her historically less interesting to me than Mm. him. Because you know what it is? That's the Dark Phoenix retcon. Mm. Jean Grey is only an interesting character to me if she is responsible for the actions of Dark Phoenix. If you take that away from her and she had no agency whatsoever and this is just something an alien did... I think it's less interesting. It's a different story, but this is me personally. Because that violation, that having your agency taken away, again, that's something that resonates a lot with a lot of people. But if I'm going to have a character ruminating over Mm. crimes done with their hands or whatever, I prefer a story about a character reckoning with something that they chose to do.
1: For Laura, the reason it works specifically for me is it is less like, you know, oh, I didn't have any agency here. I didn't. It is that I have been told my entire life that I am this
0: thing. That's the part I find interesting.
1: And I am choosing to say I am not that thing. I am my own person. I am my own woman. And as part of that, I am saying that these choices that you forced me into doing were not choices i had no say in that i am choosing my own path now
0: right finding subjectivity rather than yeah. objectivity and that like that is what i like about logan and the weapon x plot that so yeah. much of this is derived from which is that like logan doesn't always have agency he was brainwashed he was this mm-hmm. he was that Having that moment of like, no, I am not responsible for this can be very cathartic, obviously, mm-hmm. especially for people who are survivors of the kind of abuse where you are told that you are responsible for terrible things that you're not responsible for. So yeah.
1: I get it. I get it. It's just it's, it's just a personal preference. Yeah, and
0: my yeah. issue with this character was always just the stories in which it felt like she had no agency. I'm glad we've moved away from that mm-hmm. because it just, to me, makes her a character that has a lot more story opportunity if it's not always just there for someone to click.
1: I absolutely agree. Getting rid of Trigger Sent is the best thing that happened to Laura as a character.
0: And I actually think that this story, I will say, like one of the moments where you start to see that shift in her is during that time travel story about the Leper Queen and Messiah yes. War. And this is a great use of Kaiden Nixon, actually. Yeah. They go to the future, and it turns out that in this dystopian alternate future, the time anomaly that's like preventing them from getting back to our time is that Kaiden Nixon has been weaponized. She's been like tied up to a machine and it's all body horror y and like yeah. it's a true it's it's like a hybrid from Battlestar Galactica kind of situation. It's bad. And Kaiden. Begs Laura to kill her, mm-hmm. and Laura can't do it.
1: There are two moments like that one. I think is incredibly powerful.
0: And then Domino walks in and shoots Kyte in the head. So like, because that's, <laughs> that's Domino, baby. Domino's like, "I got this. Don't worry about it." But Laura can't do it, and that's an important, a really important moment for is like, I love this person, and even in this circumstance, I cannot kill her.
1: There's another moment where the X Force team is actually they're in front of the days of future past wall of like mm-hmm. slain and Laura sees herself there it says slain and she makes the active choice to say we are not going to let this happen i am not dying i am choosing to live i choose my to own live life. right yeah which is i think that's a huge step for
0: the character and this is where the character started to work better for me mm-hmm. is this book i didn't love this book because the tone of it as i think you identify is just not something that appeals to me this kind of splatterpunk you know action gore comic is just never my thing same i remember that i picked it up because i was excited about necrotia that's why i had read really any of Mm -hmm. this stuff at the time she doesn't do much in necrotia honestly no because she's a minor part it's because there's like been a whole arc with kimura Mm-hmm. and she's like all fucked up so she is like in the med bay for a while i think around
1: yeah and time. it's more mental than physical mm-hmm. and, yeah because kimura is like kimura is I, not a very rich character but she is basically like a walking bundle of trauma yeah laura.
0: she's the abuser made manifest as a specific mm-hmm. single character because laura killed sander rice back in that first mini so you need someone who is like an ongoing character who she, represents she the facility
1: i don't think we it's like like laura literally cannot hurt right laura.
0: kimura has the mutant power of indestructible, or maybe it's not mutant i forget
1: i think it's genetically engineered she's
0: yeah she's like a mutate yeah. she has been genetically modified to have indestructible skin
1: and then beyond that, Laura has been programmed
0: that she cannot harm Kimura. And so Kimura's like, hit me. And when Laura fails to hit her, Kimura abuses her, like to punish her oh. for failing. Yeah. She's a sick, twisted. There's zero depth here. Yeah. To she's just, all just all a, she's yeah. a bog standard sociopath character. There's really nothing. The only depth she's ever given is in that one emma scene i do like that you mentioned from mercury falling which is when emma finds her like lurking outside the school and is like i'm not going to kill you because i'm trying not to do that
1: i'm getting past my butter rum phase
0: what i am going to do is ooh, i just jumped in your head and i've seen that there is only one person who ever loved you and was kind to you your entire life and that was your grandmother who died and oh She's gone now. I've taken her from you. All of those memories are gone and you will never remember them again, but you will always remember that something is missing. And Kimura starts to cry and is like, what have you done? And Emma just walks away like, don't come back to my school. I love Emma Frost. I love Emma Frost. And that scene's great. I mean, thats is that an evil thing to do? Yes. Yeah, but Kimura Kimura sucks. It's
1: it's Kimura. Yeah, I don't care.
0: Kimura's evil as hell. So she comes back in the X-Force days and Mm -hmm. is like, I will never stop stalking you and I will murder anyone you care about. And like, you know, oh, we forgot to mention that um, in one of those minis, I think it's in Target X, she meets Sarah Kinney's relatives. Yeah. And helps them escape because the people hunting Laura come Mm -hmm. after those people and torture her cousin.
1: And her cousin and her aunt are, um, they're fun little cute supporting characters. And they, they are, I like that, they you you expect the like oh we found out your weapon we are going like
0: but they accept her completely
1: yeah ex- like to the point where like when laura sets them up with like fake identities in canada and everything
0: the tragedy is that it's a family that accepts her but she has to send them away for their own safety and can never be with them yep kamura though is like always after them she's always after laura's classmates the reason I think that the character started to work better for me here was because this is the moment where she fully, forevermore after this, is no longer an Academy X character. Like, yeah. she's just been promoted out of that. After poochying up their class and pulling focus from everybody else, now she's like, enjoy that. Bye. Maybe you guys can do your little young X-Men book now. I'm out. I'm a big A-list character. I'm an X-Force. I'm in a yeah. solo. Yeah. I think that she does work better for me outside of the student body context. I think it was always kind of an awkward fit for her there. I love the stuff with her and Soraya, but her experience is so alien to everyone else's that it doesn't... Like, that book is about, like, being a teen, and, like, she doesn't have that sort of relatability in that way.
1: And it's not even alien in, like... The, like There are some, like, fun being a teen, like, like Warlock. Warlock, right, Runes. or yeah.
0: Ileana, but those are... There's just something—it's alien
1: in a very like there's there's no compelling hook here.
0: Yeah, and like she—it's not like Warlock wants to connect with all of self friends, like or Ilyana is desperate to prove that she's not a demon. Mm -hmm. I have said I said on Battle of the Atom the first time I was on it that like my realization that made me warm to Laura a little bit as a character is that like Ilyana is just as stupid a character as Laura conceptually, but I love Ilyana because I was a kid. Yeah, X twenty three was the His magic of, of the yeah. generation after mine. So I fully get that and it's a similar struggle like I'm not a monster, I'm a person. But until after X-Force, she's not really allowed to be human. Like it's this story where I think they really start to let her have deeper emotions, you know? And then we get to the Liu Solo.
1: Yes, which is I think it's a very uneven book. Like there are there are Really high, like, oh my god, this is the characters. Someone finally clicked. Mm-hmm. And then there's some where it's just like, mm, this is messy.
0: Well, it ties into all the Wolverine Goes to Hell stuff. Hell which is just, that's stuff. a rough place to start because that storyline's confusing.
1: Yeah, I think where the, the book really starts to click, because there's also a arc with Miss Sinister which is funny
0: character but it's not that great an arc I do like though that's when Gambit comes in
1: that was I was about to say when Gambit and Laura start establishing their dynamic that is the heart of the book for a good long while yeah
0: when it's like Uncle Gambit's going to look out for Logan's girl like that is fun
1: the thing I like about Gambit like honestly I prefer Gambit as Laura's like father figure to Logan.
0: Well, he's a better father <laughs> oh. than Logan,
1: <laughs> inarguably. But the thing I like about Gambit is Gambit has lived a hard life. Like he he he's been in some pretty rough spots,
0: and also was trained from childhood to be yeah. a criminal or a tool, or a tool rather you than know. a weapon.
1: Right? Yeah he he was a lockpick instead of a knife. Mm-hmm. He uses that that like you know commonality, but like accepts you've had it worse than I ever will. You have had an unimaginable amount of tragedy for being a 16-year-old girl. Right. I'm never going to be able to understand that, but I can be here for you. And that is such a fucking strong foundation to build off
0: of. It's what I've said. I was just saying this to somebody earlier today. What I've found is, because I'm was i famously gambivalent. Oh, I love Gambit so much. I have grown to love Gambit specifically because I found I really like the way women write Gambit. Not yeah. to generalize, but like Marjorie Lou's Gambit, Kelly Thompson's Gambit, Teeny Howard's Gambit. There's something specifically about the way a lot of women writers approach Gambit To go back to the Rogue episode I did with Cass Morris, she talked about how she loves Gambit because Gambit is a romance novel character. He feels like a character in the way that he relates to Rogue designed for a female audience in a way that is unusual in superhero comics. There's something about the way women write him as understanding of women's needs in the story Mm -hmm. that I think is interesting and that comes through here. He is respectful of Laura's trauma in the same way he was respectful of Rogue's trauma when he was trying to date Rogue, which was like, I am in love with you, but like, it's okay if we cannot touch. Like, I respect your boundaries. Like, you know, like, he, it, that, that is thats is the thing that like made Gambit not Pepe LePew, right? Yeah,
1: and I, so I have, I have a theory that is the like core to my being. I think people conflate scumbags and dirt bags a lot. A scumbag is a bad person. Like, they like top to bottom, right. scumbag will ruin your life. A dirt bag might be sloppy, might be scruffy, might steal some shit, but they got a good heart down in the center. I think a lot of men tend to write Gambit as, more, a, scumbag. as a scumbag, whereas Gambit is really a dirt bag.
0: You're 100% correct. Yeah. Gambit is not a fuckboy. No. And men often write him as a fuckboy, but he's a better character when he is, like, a horny loser.
1: Yeah, he's horny and, like, he he tries too hard. But he
0: would never betray the women he loves, very specifically, you yeah. know? Yeah,
1: he has, like, for all the bluster and, like, the, like, ridiculous, like, accent and card tricks, like, it, his core, he's a kind person who cares about like if someone is important to him in his life, he's going to care about them and respect them.
0: Mm-hmm. This is also the period where Laura bonds with Daken, who's being sort of slowly reconfigured in this period from a really heinous villain into an antihero. Because when that character was introduced, he was dire Kimura levels of like yeah. truly terrible scumbag kind of person. Mm-hmm. But he was cool. People liked him. So they're already revamping the character somewhat at this mm-hmm. point. And Laura is kind of the vehicle through which they start to do that. Because
1: he, he like, despite himself, finds, like, a little bond with Laura. Right.
0: He sees himself yeah. and her. We're both, like, Wolverine's children who've been abused by the world. Yada, yada, yada. So there's that. She has her fun adventure with Vampire Jubilee, which I know oh. you're fond of. So the... The Vampire Jubilee is actually the reason
1: I like it is because it's it's not fun. Well, I mean, a lot well, by fun, are.
0: I just I, I find Vampire Jubilee intrinsically fun. So I, th- that's my feeling. Yeah. But yes, no, it's a dark story,
1: and it it like I think this is like if I if I had to name like three or four Laura stories, this is on that list. Mm-hmm. It's also I think the best use of Vampire Jubilee. I would agree. It uses Jubilee struggling with this thing that she's become. They're on two different roads, but they're crossing at the same time because Laura is a weapon who is learning how to become human, and Jubilee is a human who has found herself a monster. Who has
0: been transformed into a monster and is trying to fight that. What I find interesting about it is that Laura's solution essentially is to force Jubilee to drink her blood. Yes. And to violate Jubilee's boundaries and consent on that. And then they. Then they. they, And and Jubilee's like. And Jubilee's like, you know what? I was being unrealistic. Like you were right to try and force me to face this about myself. But it's interesting because it's reflective, I think, of the life that Laura has led, which is that people force Laura to do things. And usually it's horrible, but sometimes it does create personal growth. And she's like, listen, you have to do this. So I'm going to make you do it it's nuanced it's interesting i think that it's a good story i would like to see them interact again
1: oh d- mm, yeah me too i ship that shit Ah, uh, yeah of, i mean you want them to yeah, date um, which i wouldn't be opposed yeah. to but um well from so i would lo- please if that i have been informed and i tried to dig up so there are there's one documented case um of a writer who wrote laura saying i view this character as a lesbian craig kyle
0: said that he intended that the character was a lesbian which is odd because there is no romance no and the big romance plot in the kyle and yost academy x is between laura and hellion
1: yeah but still you know he said it sure and then i have been informed by a few different people i haven't been able to turn up the interview so i'm not saying this is Something that definitely happened.
0: Kyle said that on Twitter. Oh no, not.
1: not but Kyle's, I know. I'm just. Yeah. I'm just yeah. specifying oh. for the
0: listeners if they're not familiar.
1: Yeah. This, so that one definitely happened. I've seen. I saw the tweet. Um, an interview with Marjorie where supposedly there was an arc planned before the book was ended where it was set in the future and Laura and Jubilee were going to be shown as a couple.
0: Well, that tracks with a lot of stuff Marjorie Liu tried to do in this book. She tried to out-Bobby. She tried to have Karma and Warbird develop into a relationship, Mm -hmm. but that book got canceled also so Warbird is just forever the homophobic alien to me because (laughs) she never... It's just like Warbird, the alien who hates gay marriage because they never got to do the Mm -hmm. she's internalized homophobia storyline all the way through.
1: I think the big thing in the Jubilee story is that it finally addresses Laura's self-harm.
0: Yes, which is something we haven't super touched on. It's a yeah. recurring beat throughout everything, is that when she is overstimulated and emotionally distressed, her response is to start using her claws to cut herself because she knows she'll heal, basically. And
1: I don't, I, I think up until this story, it has been handi- handled with about as little taste as it could possibly
0: it be. It often feels good There's that, particularly yeah. that one scene where it's like during the Prodigy and Hellion and Surge mm-hmm. love triangle moment, it's after Quest for Magic. She runs away Mercury? and Mercury yeah. finds her having like sliced herself up a ton. Yeah. And Mercury's like, oh my God. It's just that is, we didn't mention her friendship with Mercury is also very sweet in Academy X. That's a good character generally. I
1: love Mercury because of this read through. I was just like, wait, no, Mercury rules. She's great. So, She's yeah. great.
0: I would like to see more of her. Too. I'm actually hoping that Likewise. she and Loa will factor into Legion of X because. That would be very cool. I would. Way of X made them like Pixie's pals, and it would be nice mm-hmm. to see them and Soraya like hanging out and being. It would be cool. A peer group. I would like to
1: see them get some nice time together. I agree. The thing that makes it work, like, the thing I latch on to the most is. Every character has responded to her self harming with like shock, and like they don't, they don't like, you know, no one's like, oh my god, what's wrong with you? But, but like it's always just like, oh my god, are I don't you okay? understand this. Like, Why are you yeah. doing this? Right. She and Gambit are in Paris, and she, I forget what scares her, something freaks her out, and she runs to the bathroom and self harms. And Gambit notices, and he handles it
0: adroitly he
1: he doesn't push he doesn't he doesn't like 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 i said he respects her so like there's this beautiful shot of them in like a safe house and this is with uh sana takeda art Mm -hmm. which is gorgeous basically they go to a safe house and laura is depressed in bed just popping her claws in and out and Gambit spends the entire day in a chair just by her bed whenever she's ready. He's like, okay, whenever you're ready, we can talk, but I'm here, you are not alone. Whatever it takes to get you through. And he eventually falls asleep, but he was smart enough to call Logan, and Logan then shows up. He's like, all right, time for me to be a dad after 20 issues of not being a dad. You've had your kill list. Is that why you're hurting yourself? That was it. That was it. It was the kill list. Right. Yeah, because
0: there's a list of like the people that she's killed basically yes it's not complete it's like a very it's like just i think it's one year and she's just like if this is one year imagine how many people i killed so after
1: this like which is by far the most like tender care laura has ever been shown Mm -hmm. up to this point she and jubilee get the beautiful scene on top of the eiffel tower which the most romantic setting physically possible on earth yeah and they basically agree like talk and go like hey, we're both kind of fucked up and bad things have happened to us, but we are people and we can be better. Let's be better together.
0: And at the end of that arc, Laura is reminded about someone who he becomes important later. It's Alex hmm. uh, Chimini, Cimini. I don't know how you're supposed to say it, but she was assigned to kill a family and she couldn't, this was when she was fully like in trigger-sent brainwashing mode hmm. as a child, soldier, couldn't bring herself to kill the child. It makes her realize that even when she was under... This is where some of the agency gets given back. Like yeah. even when you were, it, it makes her more of a Logan type character, right? Which is like yeah. you did terrible things because you were brainwashed, but there was always humanity in you. Like you were able mm. to stop yourself. Sometimes, occasionally, you could fight your way through. You know, if
1: I if I remember right, she found the Wiggle Room. She was or like she had to follow orders. Right. She was ordered to kill the, the parents. parents but was not explicitly ordered to kill the child. It was
0: implied. Yeah. But it's not an explicit order, so she's it's able... It's like a
1: loophole. She's yeah.
0: able to resist the programming and let the kid go. Now, that turns out to not go so well for her uh, later on. No, it on. doesn't. But... <laughs> <laughs> that's when she has her sort of confrontation with Hellion. Mm-hmm. They reunite and... He has just been through a lot. His hands were melted off during Second Coming. Yeah, he's got the robot hands now. And he was a very vain person. Like, he thinks of himself now as disfigured in this way that is really traumatic. He's also learning how to use prostheses. Like, he's really, you know... So, when he reunites with Laura, he's, like, super excited because he wants to start where they left off. He kisses her for the first time. Like, they never kiss in the Academy X stuff. And he's like, oh my God, like my life's been so terrible for the last year, but now it's going to be better, like because you're here. And she's like, mm. actually, I really don't feel that way about you anymore.
1: Yeah. And he has the outburst where, like, oh, you're just a machine. You're only going to, like, ever be a killer.
0: Yeah. And that sucks and bad moment from julian but
1: it, may, it makes sense like like it feels in character yeah. given the, the year he's yes. had. Yeah.
0: but he says some things to her that are pretty awful and if they ever are on panel again together i do feel like that'll need to be, be addressed. addressed yeah but but
1: again like it could not be clearer that like Marjorie wanted Jubilee and Laura. This is
0: a lesbian. So we're going to get rid of the male love interest from before. Yeah. The
1: explicit words are you're wrong, Julian. I feel, I want, I just do not want you. She walks away and then comes home to find Jubilee waiting for her. And then Jubilee goes, I needed to see you. Did you miss me? Like could not
0: be. It couldn't be more. Here's how I'll put it. It's like if you were going to dance with Pete Wisdom at the gala and not look at all turned on and then dance with Rachel Summers at the gala mm-hmm. and look really turned on. I'm just saying. Yeah. It's a very similar beat to me. Yep. I agree. And, uh, you know, anyway, moving on. Um <laughs> Listen, I just think these writers do great work. That's all. They're trying no 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 no. Yeah. I, I <laughs> really don't want to think like I'm No, no, no. I'm just no, yeah. I was just thinking. I was just like, look at Marjorie Lou just like pushing the envelope every issue as much as possible.
1: Yeah, and this is like a decade old. Yeah, like... this is
0: an old comic by this point. Yeah. So after that is when Black Widow recruits her to Avengers Academy, which that makes sense, like that Black yeah. Widow would see a kinship and that she's also like, I was brainwashed as a teenager to become a murderer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, similar vibe there. A lot of Marvel characters that happen too. honestly. Weird. This is not an Avengers podcast, so I think we can mostly skip through the Avengers Academy stuff.
1: She immediately regresses. Like, they do the, like, oh, am I a weapon again?
0: She feels very Academy X suddenly. Yeah. It's whatever yeah. to me. There is a cool scene during Avengers vs. X-Men where suraya all of the like academy x kids have been kidnapped by Mm -hmm. the avengers who have like locked them up for their own protection quote unquote laura refuses to take a side but she and logan are both like playing switzerland with the x-men and the avengers but suraya is really upset with her and is like you don't understand you haven't been around you don't know what's Mm -hmm. going on we are adults And, like, we need to be allowed to fight for our people if that's what we believe we should do. And so Laura's like, you know what? You're absolutely right. And she Mm -hmm. convinces the other Academy students to back the X-Men students. And then the instructors are convinced to let the mutant students go.
1: And I just wish that the big, like, emotional crux of this story was not sentinel.
0: Yeah, Literally I mean, so this is anything the... anything right. but Sentinel. So here's the thing. Um, I know a lot of people were upset about Avengers Arena, which happens after Avengers Academy.
1: I like Avengers Arena. I think Arena. it's I great.
0: Like, it's a pretty fucking
1: I good I think book. it's great. Yeah. So... <laughs>
0: So Dennis Hopeless does this book called Avengers Arena that was literally just a Hunger Games ripoff, but it knows it's like it's Battle Royale. It's the Hunger Games. Like they all but explicitly say you're doing the Hunger Yeah, the cover is. So the bad guy is arcade and he says, I saw a movie recently that gave me a great idea. So like they're winking at you. They know that it's the hunger games but also the cover of the first issue is battle royale yeah it's just basically we have all these teen characters no one wants to do anything with because avengers academy got canceled so let's just have them all murder each other on a murder island x-23 gets thrown in there and is having a bad time you get the the braddock academy the braddock academy kids are introduced braddock academy becomes like a thing in the marvel universe in this story it's cool i like i love the braddock academy i hope that Elsa Bloodstone is still like teaching history there or whatever.
1: I think Laura, like, there's we don't we don't have, we don't have to get not, into not, it.
0: Yeah, Laura is written better. Yes, in, yeah. much better. And there is this character Justin with an O M, which has always <sighs> mystified me. Who has a pet Sentinel, and he's an Avengers Academy character. He comes out of this mini series of his own that happened. And here's the bottom line, guys. I am never down with like a pet Sentinel who's like cute. I just don't. Fuck with it. I don't fuck with Sentinel Squad One. I don't fuck with the X Men Red Sentinel that Trinery reprograms. I don't fuck with Cerebra when she gets put into a Sentinel. I don't fuck with any of that. It's just not. Cu- this is a specifically an engine of their genocide, and it's not cute to me. And particularly, at least Trinery is a mutant. Yeah. She paints a rainbow on it. Is like this is our Sentinel. Like that's an attempt at a reclamatory gesture. Justin's just a dude. This kid's just like not a mutant, and he's like the Sentinel's my friend. It's like it's an Iron Giant riff, basically. Extremely
1: Iron Giant. Yeah.
0: He's like the Sentinel's my friend, and Laura, to her credit, is like that's fucked up. Fuck you. But then when evil Phoenix Five Emma comes to destroy the Sentinel, Laura defends Justin and his Sentinel from Emma.
1: So and like Emma is perfectly reasonable. Emma's right. No
0: Sentinels. Sorry. There's
1: one really, really funny moment where like, the fighting has broke out. And so some of the kids call Quicksilver. It's <laughs> just like, we, we need help. And Quicksilver's like, what's going on? And they go, Emma Frost wants to destroy the Sentinel. He's like, cool. Cool. Let her,
0: let her do that because yeah. that's absolutely what's a thing the she should here? do. Right. There is a cool moment in Avengers Academy that I forgot to mention, which is the bit with finesse toward the end. Hmm. Where Laura's unconscious and Finesse, who's like the bitch of the team, she's a fun character actually. I liked her. Yeah, I, she, if she showed up again, though, she's like the one that I would say would be really uh, well. Reptil, the, that Terry Blossom I'm cute.
1: I'm fond of Reptil. Just
0: cause he got dinosaurs. Yeah, so it's like I'm you know, like and them. lots of them. Like Hazmat is like kind of a fun look. Like they all kind of have a something going for them. The book just never really works for me.
1: Yeah, Vale is like the only one that.
0: Eh. Finesse is the one where I do feel like that's a character who could have a a bigger role in the marvel universe she has kind Mm -hmm. of like a maria hill quality of like ice cold kind of bitch avengers Mm -hmm. adjacent character that could be fun
1: and she's related to taskmaster yeah
0: there's a moment where finesse kills someone with laura's claw while laura is knocked out laura wakes up and assumes that she did it in like a trigger scent haze or whatever and finesse initially lies to her about it but then admits i did it and laura's like All right, I'm not going to tell the teachers, but we are not friends now.
1: Yeah, because that is the
0: number one You can't use my body. And I did like in uh, Jerry's X-Men recently when Lorna does something similar. Mm. There's a moment, and we we can see that Laura is growing as a person, but is still very emphatic about this stuff. She's Mm. like, I don't like that. Don't do that, basically. But in a very, like, she says... We'll have a conversation about this later. Yeah. And that's when she turns to Sink and says, and I know that we have to talk also. I'm getting there. Like, (laughs) give me a second. In both cases with Finesse and with Lorna, the point is that this person is insensitive to Laura's situation. Trauma. She has
1: like, this is a very specific triggering thing for her.
0: Yeah. I find it a lot worse here because Finesse knows that. I don't know how well Lorna knows. Lara. I don't. I, do I not you know, think Lorna I don't. Lorna know. was in space yeah. when most of the X23 stories happened. So I don't think she knows, yeah. like, I, Laura's I deal. think
1: she and Laura probably have not talked before. Before being on this involved. team together. Yeah. Right. So
0: that is like, to me, oops, Lorna wasn't thinking because she got a little manic, is the read I mm-hmm. have of that issue, which I think is yeah. interesting. I loved that issue. With finesse, it's like, I very specifically know that I this made is this your thing choice. and I'm making a conscious yeah. choice to use you in a way that I know will re-traumatize you because it was the only way I saw to get out of this situation. And I don't regret it, which is yeah, an interesting the, the, <laughs> the very explicit, <laughs> I would do it again. I would do it again. And so Laura's like, I can respect that, but we are not friends. And that's a cool Mm. scene. Anyway, so then all the Avengers Academy kids get thrown into Avengers Arena and uh, you don't need to know much about it. It's a cool book. You should read it. Laura survives and uh, Justin and his Sentinel do not. So overall a win for Mutant Kind, I think. Agreed. That's a character where I'm like, that one we truly never need to see again as long. (laughs) Like, thank you, Avengers Arena for, because I don't want to deal with like, put my Sentinel, like, shut the fuck up. And now it's Bendis time. Yeah, after that, she pivots into Bendis. What are your feelings on that run for her? I,
1: so for her specifically, poor. um, I I think she's, she's barely a part of it for most of it. Like she, she is the least prominent character in that ensemble. Yeah,
0: I think it was a cute idea to add her to the O5 as like the Green Ranger. Like that's a cute idea.
1: But she barely. But she's, she's barely not married.
0: much of a factor. She dates Angel, oh, the teen Angel. God, I. I mean, here's the thing. I get why Warren would be into her. I do not understand why
1: she is into Warren. Right. Like they, they tried, they tried to just like, like try to have her go like, oh, well, he's like, you know, he's so well adjusted and like sweet and kind. He's everything I can't be. Right.
0: It just doesn't work. Well, it's also not true, like which the black yeah. vortex thing really underlines because like Warren is a really damaged guy in a lot of Extremely ways who kind so. of like, he is beautiful and rich and all of that, but he doesn't like himself very no, much. He's, so, he's
1: a very self-hating person. Yeah, so
0: there's a lot of, I mean, I'm as like a Warren fan, I'm like, I get this for him because it's not unlike, like teen Warren being attracted to Laura is very reminiscent to 90s Warren being attracted to 90s Betsy. It makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense to me. But the chemistry is not quite there for me on her end, and I just didn't quite get it.
1: And it lasts for a while. Yeah, but then when it peters
0: out, it's literally just gone.
1: Yeah, it vanishes. It's hilarious. He, like, breaks Um, up with
0: her because he's like, you're always risking your life. Like, you don't, you're "You're always like... Well, no, they
1: break up, and then they get back together. Then they get back together, and then... And then then it's just
0: kind of never It's just never sort of dealt with again. It's like, that's over. And then they go back to the past, so don't worry about it.
1: So my thing with Laura in Bendis is there are writers who tend to write character voices um, that fit their style. And that's fine. That's my
0: problem with Bendis X-Men generally, is that everyone sounds like a Brian Michael Bendis character.
1: And with Laura, it's especially noticeable because she could not be further from a Brian Michael Bendis character. It's
0: her and Emma. They're the two that really ring false to me throughout that run. And here's the thing. When I first read it, I didn't care particularly. I I wasn't super Mm. well read on Laura, so I didn't notice. But now having revisited a bunch of stuff for this episode, it's very abrupt.
1: Yeah, like the, like, the first issue she shows up, she's like, Scott Summers, and that was actually Jean Grey? The real Jean Grey? Like, Laura wow, like,
0: doesn't banter. Why would
1: Laura care about Jean Grey?
0: Right, yeah, Laura doesn't give a shit. About, I guess maybe if she knows that Logan loves Jean Grey. like. But, but also, I don't think
1: she cares, like...
0: No. She cares
1: about Logan as a dad. Yeah. I don't think she would care,
0: like... About, like, his interpersonal relationships that much.
1: The one thing I like that was... Dealt with a little bit, but I wish it was done more. Is young Laura and young Scott because that was fun, but I'm glad they didn't do the romance that the same. Yeah, but I think it's really interesting because, like I said, Laura has a lot of baggage with Scott, but I also think she would be like the one person to not give young Scott adult Scott's baggage. So well, this is
0: part of, I will say, why I think it makes sense that she hasn't had a ton of baggage with adult Scott Mm -hmm. after this, because I do think that she, much like how Jean in the Krakoa era isn't that hung up on the Magneto of it all, because teen Jean and Magneto bonded, the experiences that teen Scott and Laura had, I think have made them, like, were cool. To some extent.
1: Yeah, smoothed over the edges. Yeah.
0: I mean, Jean and Emma also. It's like, because yeah. Jean and Emma kind of dealt with their shit. So when Jean came back with those memories, it was like, well, what are we going to do? Like, I still think you're kind of a bitch, yeah. but like, we're moving on with our lives. Yeah, it's fine. You know? So then Wolverine dies is the thing. Logan yeah. dies. That's when she dies. She she dies like Logan color, streaks yellow in her, in her hair. hair. Yeah, that doesn't last very long, thankfully, because like not yeah, a great it looks way. Looks
1: bad. Doesn't look good. That pivots into Wolverines. I own every issue of that run. I bought it weekly, mm-hmm. and like I reread it in September for this. If you asked me to name three plot points of Wolverines, I would. Not being, yeah, to
0: be. I also could not. It is mostly notable because she bonds further with daken mm-hmm. but that's really all. Oh. It's especially a little weird because, like, I I love the ending of Wolverines. Mm-hmm. I think that is the best
1: part, where where Raven just goes fuck, where this, Mystique is like fuck everybody,
0: right? Yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> I I think that's great. I love when Mystique just says, "I don't care about anyone." That's always except. Yeah. For Irene, which it turns out the whole plot was about, is she was trying to find a way to resurrect Irene.
1: And then Irene goes, "Hey, by the way, and then it's tricking like, you oh, that Logan. great wit,
0: destiny actually yeah. was tricking you. Come back in two weeks for the Irene and Adler episode, which I'm very excited. No
1: less gonna kill
0: it. I'm psyched about that.
1: I love the ending, but it's very funny because like they sold that series on who's gonna be the next Wolverine. Like we're gonna, th- it happens in this book. Laura is like the." F- fourth most important character it's a very
0: weird little book and then all new wolverine happens by tom taylor in which which is where she laura becomes wolverine and becomes a really big character we find out that she's been cloned a bunch of times by this company called alchemax from spider-man 2099 is it really spider-man 2099
1: like that's yep that is that is where alchemax comes from
0: god bless I love a pull. I love a weird pull. So the two that are of consequence are little Gabby, who we now know much better. lover, And Bellina, who's evil and like an albino Laura, basically. Mm -hmm. There's also one called Zelda, but she dies in a nasty way. She dies pretty quick,
1: yeah.
0: Basically, what happens is Laura adopts Gabby as her little sister, and they become a little family.
1: So Gabby took a while to grow on me, and it actually took... Till so after all new wolverine because i have a certain tolerance and this is just extremely personal preference not making like a quality judgment on writing i have a tolerance for very twee quippy dialogue yeah and gabby is almost nothing but that in all new wolverine no i'm
0: with you when it's a little too cute i can't yeah do it and i will say like so I hadn't read all New Wolverine until after mm. Krakoa era started. So I w- I don't know how I would have reacted like in real time, but mm. I turned around on Gabby in the Vita Ayala because I did read X Men Red when it was coming yeah. out, and I was like, but that's eh. also
1: Taylor, right?
0: Yeah. Where she really works for me is in Ayala's New Mutants.
1: Ayala kills it with Gabby. They do incredible, and then uh, Tamaki also, or yeah, also is good. Did yeah, I, I the reason. Her Gabby and Ayala's Gabby work better for me is there's still like, you know, that like, oh, I'm I'm like a quirky little kid. And I'm I got a weird perspective on things. Right. But also she feels more like a kid. Mm-hmm. In the Taylor stuff, it constantly feels like adults are like the second she leaves a room after saying a funny thing, like every kid
0: is going. I like her. Right. It feels, it feels very poochy. There is a poochy vibe. Yeah. Yes. I like her a lot more now. She's that great. Ayala yeah. has really like revamped that character to some extent. I mean, mm-hmm. it is always like the second little Gabby was like, what about Madeline Pryor? She's a person too. I was like, there you go. That's when I turned and was like, I like her. That was my moment. The all-new Wolverine moment I really, really like is when Laura, who has made a vow that she's never going to kill anybody ever again, decides, actually, I'm going to make one exception and kills the shit out of Kimura.
1: It's like that uh, storyline, Enemy of the State 2, is like, I don't love all-new Wolverine as a whole as much as a lot of people do. I think Enemy of the State 2 and Orphans of X are fucking incredible storylines.
0: The bit where she's like, no one owns me. I'm not a thing. I'm Laura Kinney. I'm the daughter of yeah. Sarah. I'm the daughter While of Logan. Well, drowning, While drowning yeah. Kimura, because she can't cut Kimura, but she can hold her yeah. underwater until she drowns. That's great. Very rarely do you get a
1: clean story arc for a character over, like, decades. Mm-hmm. And this is Laura literally, like, every step of her journey, even though there have been some repressions, has taken her to this point. To get that payoff for a character, like the amount of characters that get that steady growth, that development, and like like feel like they have become a new character in their growth. I it's It's vanishingly
0: rare rare in ongoing comics because you need a lot of runway to do that and you need writers who are really familiar with the character to follow through all of those. I mean, I do think, again, this is like me having specific interests and really loving that book, but I think that Betsy Braddock's arc as Captain Britain in the Krakoa yeah. era is the culmination of everything that has happened to that character since 1976 in a really mm-hmm. beautiful way. This is like that. It's a mo- like all new Wolverine does that for this character and i get why it catapulted her to even bigger status
1: oh very much so there's also um i think it's worth mentioning that this is the story where they get rid of trigger scent
0: yeah it's fully just done now
1: and the way the way it is done i it literally made me cry mm-hmm. gabby and teen Jean have a plan and like gabby comes into a room with a trigger scent vial and a bunny and Laura's like, I'm just going to kill the bunny. Like, come on. Right. We all, we both know. And she gives the bunny back to Jean and it goes, oh, the bunny comes later. I'm first.
0: Right. Gabby's like, kill me.
1: Yeah. She's like, you can't hurt me because Gabby doesn't feel pain. I have a healing factor. I love you. This is how we're doing this. No one is ever going to use you again.
0: It's like what Laura did with Rain, actually, yeah. back in the Kyost X-Force.
1: The theme of no one will ever get to use you or like tell you what you are again resonates with so many people me for obvious reasons Mm -hmm. like you know but this is where I like because I read the first few I stopped actually right before Enemy of the State 2 when I was reading Only Wolverine because I was just like it's charming and like there's some fun bits but like dialogue's just not my favorite and I don't I don't see like the the meat here This is the arc where I'm like, oh, I get it. This is what people see in this book. This story is incredible.
0: That leads into X-Men Red, also by Taylor, and Hunt for Wolverine, Adamantium Agenda, also by Taylor. X-Men Red is not really a Laura story. He just loves Laura, so she's there. Mm -hmm. The Hunt for Wolverine story is notable mostly for something that we'll get to in the questions, which is the retcon that establishes she was never a clone. She is basically an IVF, artificially genetically engineered child of Logan and Sarah Kinney.
1: Not a fan. We'll get into We'll it get later. into
0: it later. That Sarah Kinney is her biological mother.
1: There there's also Orphans of X which we don't have to like go hard There's into, a clone of it's... Sarah
0: Kinney in that who's like yeah. programmed to do evil things. And...
1: and it it feels like like much like Enemy of the State 2 was like the like the culmination of Laura's journey. It feels like Orphans of X is like taking the threads of what's left from that and moving it Laura into a new but place. deals with the like, facility
0: because it's all these yeah. victims of what she did at the facility and, and she's, like what
1: the other Wolverines have done and she is.
0: says to them I am going to make amends to all of you I am going to bring the people who hired the facility to send me to kill your loved ones I am going to bring them to justice because I am a victim too
1: yeah, she, she doesn't say, like, she's not like, I'm doing this because I am guilty. I'm doing this because I have blood on my hands.
0: Right, she's saying the facility did this to all of us.
1: And I have the the abilities and the skills to get justice for you. So that is what I am going to do.
0: Mm-hmm. I like that. Orphans of X generally, though, vibed a little weird to me just because, and mm-hmm. this is because I had not, Solo Wolverine is tough for me. It's like mm-hmm. the X-Men sphere I probably know the least about and have read the least of, but... I had, for the Wolverine episode, read all of the Jason Aaron stuff with the red right hand, which is a very similar organization. So when I got to it in all New Wolverine, I was like, didn't we do this already? But listen, didn't we do this already? It's superhero comics. Like sometimes a yeah. theme comes back because it's good.
1: Sometimes it is iterated on better in a subsequent story occasionally. That
0: sometimes happens. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So then there's the Tamaki x23 series after logan comes back as hunt for wolverine brings logan back
1: which is in my opinion the best uh laura series yeah that book's good it's fantastic it threads the line the best between like laura has moved past most of her trauma but it is still there the big hook of the book is it is her and gabby trying to figure out how to live as like sisters living normal life
0: and there are more clones and gabby thinks that they should help the clones and laura thinks they need to kill the clones <laughs> and that's sort of the tension between yeah them. because
1: like the the new clones are like also cyborgs yeah and are and, like, like being
0: yeah. used to kill people and yada, yada
1: and also there's there the opening arc had the very fun idea of like hey you know who else are a bunch of clones? The Stepford Cuckoos. Yes, I bet Laura and Gabby and the Cuckoos would have a whole lot of opinions on things at each and other. And that's
0: a story that I'm going to dig into when I get to a Stepford. Cuckoos yeah, no, episode. it's it's more of it's a cuckoo more story. of a cuckoo story. Yeah,
1: but it's, but it's great. I think that is a very cool. It's a great idea little, to It's a great little then. story. Yeah. yeah. I also, uh, <laughs> real quick, just want to give a shout out to Juan Cabal for being the man brave enough to realize. Oh, wait, Laura is butch as hell. I'm going to draw her ripped (laughs) to shit wearing
0: leather jackets all the time. Yeah, she's very, like, strong looking in that book. Mm -hmm. That leads into Age of X-Man, which leads into the 2019 soft reboot House of X and Powers of Ten by writer Jonathan Hickman, which leads into Mm -hmm. the RBF. Now, she's briefly in Fallen Angels, which you don't have to worry about. Do not ever worry about it. And then The Vault. Yeah, the X Men. Yeah, go back to the Sync episode if you want to dig deep on the vault story itself because it's more of a Sync story. Yeah. That's Everett Thomas, if you're not familiar with his civilian name, and you're going back through the episodes, like, which one is Sync? It's a very good two issue story that Hickman did. Laura is, like Darwin in that story, more of a secondary character to Sync story because Sync is the only one who remembers the vault but basically they're there for like a thousand years and they fall in love and when they resurrect only he can remember it because he got yeah, out of Laura the vault Laura doesn't have any memory she sacrificed herself in the vault to save him and to get him out so Laura doesn't remember it and that's the current tension of their role as X-Men together is to him she's the love of his life and it was a very very long life and to her he's a complete stranger who is giving her weird looks all the time. I will say, like... He's being very he's respectful. He's being very respectful, but yeah. it's awkward. It's an awkward situation. And that's where we're at right now with the story. And I'm interested to see where it goes. I think now, unless you have something else first that you'd like to say, is a good time to get into the questions. Not really. We've covered we covered, covered the... a lot. Yeah. So yeah. I think we're going to jump into the questions now. Um, I'm going to see how many we can do because... So many of you wrote in. This is like a Aww. this is like a fifth of the number we got because I just. Here's the thing. I'm trying to keep this show at a more reasonable length in 2022 because I simply can't edit three to four hours of podcast every single week. So uh, I am trying to keep it to two to three. That is where I'm trying. That is the sweet spot I'm trying to keep it in. Carrie Murphy writes, Hey Connor, so glad you're finally talking about my fave gal, Laura. I've been a longtime fan ever since I was a kid and X-Men Evolution introduced her. When I got older, I really connected with this character. been so affected by loneliness, trauma, and alienation from normal people. Also, a massive trans mood in my own transition, so I love her, like I said. My question is, do you think Laura is too normal of a person nowadays? Ever since Bendis wrote her, she shifted considerably as a character in a way I'm not entirely sure how to feel about. Has this been properly addressed? Also, why doesn't she have any good love interests? I don't have strong feelings on sync yet, but everyone else she's dated turns into a controlling asshole. Should she just get a girlfriend already? Thanks again. Adore you in the pod. A oh, PSI from Texas if you want to try for an accent. Sorry, Carrie. I got to that at the end. But Jubilee is the best love interest she's had, is the thing.
1: 100%. Yeah. Like, e- even if they didn't kiss, that's still the best love interest. And it was
0: definitely like a story that was there. If you want it to be there, it's there. I also, I do think that the Hellion stuff in Academy X works, but obviously when Liu wants to take it in a different direction, that, yeah, I don't think now it would work without a lot of repair wow, work. Think, <laughs> which, like, maybe that relationship is not worth the repair work. Yeah, I feel like maybe in. pivot them yeah. in a different way as yeah. characters. and Like, they could be friends even, but, like, maybe just do something else. Look, them.
1: I wrote them making out in House you Party. You did, I... yeah, in your, yeah, in your House so... Party fan
0: comic, which is so much fun. I love whenever that updates. But about her characterization, how do you feel? Do you think that she's. I think it's kind of evened out. I think Bendis definitely pushed it really far, and that Tamaki pulled it. Back and that mm. now Hickman and Duggan have pulled it back a little more, and I think where it's at now is a good balance.
1: There is actually a specific page of a book we did not touch on at all, which is fine because it's largely forgettable. The post Secret Wars all new X Men volume. Oh
0: yeah, we didn't talk about the Captain Universe stuff either. Sorry guys, this is not a Captain Universe podcast. There's
1: the 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 view <laughs> um, that Captain <laughs> Universe arc actually rules. I, but but I, it's no no, I, it's, it's not, it's ex- I do not. I do not want to explain Captain Universe in an X Men podcast. I just
0: don't want to.
1: There's a page in, a couple of pages in All New X Men where Laura is like talking to Scott who has like a broken leg or something. So he's on like mission control. But we get her inner monologue while she's talking. And vocally, she is very like Taylor Bendis, like, you know, hi, I'm Laura. Mm -hmm. I make jokes. But internally, she's trying to, she's like, going like okay so don't freak him out like you've got to like respond to this like a normal human person like you have to like don't like he touched you don't flinch it's okay right. I think that page does like for as little as work as like for as little as ultimately that book mattered in the grand scheme of things I think those pages do so much work to explain oh she's still Laura she has just developed healthier coping mechanisms
0: mm-hmm I would agree. I think she's in a good place now. I I quite like her now. And again, this is a character I really had to go on a journey with because I was so turned off by my first impression. Ashley Arabian writes, Dear Connor and esteemed guest Zoe, I'm writing to you with some thoughts on my gal, Laura Kinney. Trigger warnings for self-harm, intrusive thoughts, and being an emo wannabe goth 2010s kid. (laughs) Oh, I love this podcast with my whole heart. Your discussions and guests have been incredibly meaningful to me as a fan and as someone who doesn't really have any place to talk about queer things or X-Men things in real life. In my small town, sometimes it's hard to remember queerness is real and possible. This pod, especially its trans guests, have been a lifeline. Well, that really makes me happy to hear it. I'm, oh, I'm going to cry. And I hope that things get better for you in wherever you are. The evolution cartoon was how I met the mutants, and Laura was one of the first child characters I ever saw who was allowed to be angry. She's allowed to be hurt and yelling and explosive, and Logan just lets her get it out and accepts her. In the present day, I know I'm neurodivergent, but 12 years ago, I was the kid who would have anxiety freakouts I couldn't explain, and was just seen as being difficult, inappropriate, etc. As a 10-ish year old, watching a fictional 10 year old, Laura became a character I clung to. I didn't go back and read her comics history until I was an adult. And comics Laura is a whiplash coming from evolution. Yeah, we got into that. It's as if you're now an adult with your own baggage coming back to a place you used to know. Sliding timescale, I'm about the same age as Laura is now. Her years of self-harm and intrusive thoughts line up with mine. But Laura has a healing factor that means she can hurt herself in infinite ways. And she does. And it really sucks to see it on panel and have no one around her do shit about it for a good 10 years of comics. I think Laura having intrusive thoughts and a history of self-harm makes sense for her character, but the way it's used makes me want to toss my X-Force issues into the fucking shredder. Is this something a superhero comic is capable of handling? Can these things be discussed in such a visual medium? Why does it feel so condescending and exploitative to me in Laura's story? Thank you for reading this and much love, Ash. P.S. At age 12 I bought a chunky chain necklace choker nonsense thing from Claire's because I thought Laura Kinney would wear it. So I wore it with- Oh, a... that, is the... <laughs> oh that is the cutest thing in the universe! So I wore it with a plain black t-shirt and jeggings from Kohl's so I could be quote unquote goth and literally everyone in my middle school English class made fun of the outfit including my teacher skull emoji. So those 2010 Academy X fuckers were definitely calling Laura the same slurs. Except for Dust who has never done anything wrong ever. I can't wait for Giant's x-men wolverine in congregation where they get to teach miss surge what to rob means (laughs) 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 Um, that was a great letter thank you for writing in i can't speak to the self-harm thing specifically but like as someone with obsessive compulsive disorder this kind of intrusive thought stuff i relate to that i think that mental health stuff like that is tricky to deal with in a superhero story i don't know what do you think
1: I agree that for the vast majority of the time that it was a component of Laura's character, it was handled incredibly tastelessly. Yeah. I think most subject matter, like, you can do it, but I think it's a double-edged sword because, like, people have low expectations for superhero comics in terms of, like, the delicacy of handling Social issues, cheese. yeah. Yeah, exactly. But if you want those stories to resonate for people and you want them to really click, you have to put in the work. And sometimes that comes from personal experiences with the writers. Sometimes it comes from talking to people who have had those personal experiences that you haven't. I think it can be done. And I think with Laura, it was done with Liu.
0: That arc's good. It's just good. Yeah,
1: the response Gambit and even Logan... And Logan, once he
0: understands what's going on, because he's never really seen it in that way. Yeah,
1: the response they have is such night and day, because it's not like... We're going to fix you. It's not, you You fucked up. It is, we understand you are going through a thing right now.
0: It's like, hey kid, are you okay? Can we help at all?
1: And if we can't, we are here. We are present. When you're ready to talk about it or whatever. Like
0: it feels, the self-harm to me before that story is often very similar to the overall feeling I have about Laura, which is that it feels like part of the fetishistic torture of the character.
1: Oh, Extremely.
0: And Leo doesn't write it that way.
1: It's the same thing, like, if you ask me, like, do you think a a superhero comic is capable of telling a story of, like, a trans person realizing they're trans and coming out and, like, going on their journey? Yes.
0: But I think you need a trans person to write that. You need
1: a trans person to write it. You need space you need editorial confidence and a, you yeah need... you need a
0: runway of like a couple issues like to really dig into things
1: you can tell these very delicate stories
0: i think you can tell any story yeah. you just really need to be thoughtful and i think that when it is a story about oppression specifically yeah, it is important at the very least to have people in the room i, I i've said many times in this podcast I think one of the reasons, like, we all talk about Chris Claremont's female characters. Mm -hmm. I think he deserves the lion's share of credit for the momentous sea change he made in superhero comics with those characters. I also think it is essential that his two closest collaborators, Louise Simonson and Anne Nesenti, were women. Yep. You need to be talking to people. And this is an editorial thing, like, it's also about consultation, like Al Ewing bringing in Crystal Frazier to help him yeah, write for
1: Immortal Hulk, the trans
0: yeah. character in Immortal Hulk, Shirley McGowan, who's a great character, I think.
1: Love, oh God, one. guy oh, I love her so much.
0: You know, I mean, I'm a big Al Ewing fan generally, mm. but I know that you agree with me on that.
1: I'm Oh yeah, I, I'll read, I, I'll read anything. I'm that so fucking right. hyped for
0: X-Men Red, I can't even tell you.
1: What a perfect cast for that man! Every part. First of, it. of all, like
0: Al Ewing's Sunspot, controversial opinion potentially is my favorite Sunspot. I agree. No, it I is know the you best agree with me, but like yeah. best period. I'm a Chris Claremont stand to the end, and I really do like Hickman's Beto, who I know is some. Yeah. a little polarizing because he's so comedic. Yeah. Ewing's, to me, is like the perfect sweet spot. Threads the needle. Yeah. yeah. So I'm excited for him to have Sunspot again. But I'm also just like, when was the last time that Aurora and Eric really had a lot of page time together? The mm-hmm. 80s, when they were jointly serving as the White King of the Hellfire Club. Yep. Before Fall of the mutant. I'm jazzed about that because that's some of my favorite stuff circa, like, the mutant massacre, period.
1: And also Vulcan's here, and that's well, going to be hilarious. someone's got to
0: do something with Vulcan, so God bless, you know? I, it's going to be funny. I'm going to like it. It surely is going to be funny, and he and Deathbird have that baby that's lurking somewhere, and mm-hmm. that is that is absolutely a cord that Al Ewing will pull at some point. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait for Abigail Brand's villain era, honestly. God, that oh that sword what a good what a good book al ewing if you're listening love your work come on the show email me just you know what just gonna say it just gonna say it right on the show there you go shoot your shot al ewing if you would like to come on cerebro to talk about abigail brand send me an email no pressure but i think that'd be a lot of fun d cisneros writes Hi Connor and Zoe. Laura slash X-23 slash Wolverine reminds me a lot of Ultimate Jessica Drew, aka Spider Woman, another female clone of a male character, in her case Peter Parker. Many fans refer to both of these characters as trans women. I'm not trans, so I don't want to say that they're right or wrong, but conceptually it makes enough sense. Seeing as magical rapid aging cloning with a gender swapping element is not based in any sort of real life concept or lived experience, how do you think characters like this function either as allegories or as direct examples of a transgender experience do you think sci-fi stories like this are still useful or does it do more harm than good for these kind of stories to be rooted in such fictional premises best d cisneros he him this is a you question obviously oh,
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think first off i love ultimate Justice i know Bruce, that you're yeah. a fan of that character I that's about, why i
0: plucked this one out i was like i gotta yeah, ask this i question. bought
1: I, I bought that wonderful print josh from josh corneon
0: yeah oh
1: god it's so good i think of the two i i both of them are have such powerful trans vibes to there's
0: symbolism you absolutely yeah. I mean Jessica Drew very overtly because Jessica Drew is Jessica I Drew think, ultimate Jessica Drew is a story about yeah. a male character waking up in a female body and then slowly going wait I am coming a girl. to terms
1: with yeah yeah and like not only that like a queer woman because like she she
0: goes like well do I like guys now? And it's like no, no. I'm a trans lesbian actually basically is yeah without saying the word trans, that's what that story is. And yeah. that one is a very overt this is the story we're telling.
1: Laura, I think less, like, Laura doesn't, the closest you get is, like, there are scenes with, like, her and Jubilee in that Paris arc where, like, it's not explicitly trans in that Jubilee is, like, here, try some fun clothes. All you wear is, like, jeans and leather. And, like, here, we're going to
0: do a little shopping scene. Well, like fun. Rachel, she has exactly. The, it takes her a while to accustom herself to more feminine fashions. And Rachel exactly. embraces that more in Excalibur. She'll wear, like, skirts and things. Whereas Laura is never particularly interested in a girly Yeah, outfit. like she
1: like the closest she got is her like gala outfit yeah. which was still like ripped up and Yeah, like, it was
0: still like, you know, it was definitely it's like it's a dress but it's a dress with attitude, you know.
1: As for whether these stories are like I think the important thing is they can't be the only stories.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: I love Ultimate Jessica Drew. If Ultimate Jessica Drew showed up in a comic this week and like went, "Hey, turns out there's a word for it, I'm trans." I would be like, fucking fantastic. Don't care. Like another character I loved to death, Sarah.
0: From Angela. From Angela. She's a little more... She, it's literally a trans story, but she also yeah. is an angelic space alien.
1: With her, she she is an alien, but she...
0: But she has a gender transition, like in yeah, the she, story. She, it's just magical. It's just done with magic rather than with scientific intervention.
1: Yeah, and I think that is the the issue is like, These characters who are all wonderful and very important to people, and I'm not diminishing that at all, like the closest we have in terms of like us, stories that I can look at and be like, that is a journey I went on. I did not have a magic cocoon pod to come out and have sick cans. Mm -hmm. I um...
0: (laughs) You got sick cans now. Yeah.
1: Thank you, surgery. The closest is Charlene.
0: From Immortal Hulk. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That issue is the, the the issue where she talks about being trans mm-hmm. and, like, you, use, uses her experience combating dysphoria as, like, a, like, I do not, this narrative that someone is putting in my head about the world being changed, I reject it because I control my own narrative. Well, that's
0: the thing that she flips. Yeah. She uses her trans experience to talk about the sci-fi experience that they're all having, as opposed to the sci-fi experience standing Talking in for the, the trans yeah. experience. And that's a momentous
1: thing. It's, it's beautiful. I I openly wept at my desk at work um, when I read that issue. I appreciate these characters. I appreciate these stories. I understand allegory is always going to be a thing in superhero comics. Because, like, it's a fantastical world. Mm-hmm. I think that it would be less of a, like, annoyance that so many of these trans or trans-themed characters are, like, sci-fi, magic, etc. If we had more that worked. It's when it's the only flavor around that it
0: becomes a problem. Well, and it's, like, not the same thing, but the conversations about homerotic subtext are kind Mm -hmm. of similar. Because, like, I love a subtextual thing. I love Charles and Eric, who, like, circa Inferno 4, I'm sorry, those men are married. But, like, we're never going to get that on the page, probably. No. We're never going to get Cyclops and Wolverine kissing on the page. We're just not going to get that. We're just not in corporate comics going to get that. So it's vital that we have characters who are like, I'm a gay person. Like, you know, no one can survive on that alone. And similarly, I think if the trans experience is relegated to something that only happens through magical or alien stuff, you can't survive on that alone either. So I hope that we get to see more characters. I'm glad that Vita has gotten to introduce a couple trans students in New Mutants. like there's progress being made i hope that we see more of it
1: yeah i i think it's things have shifted like things are pointing in the right direction i just hope they continue to
0: move in the right direction yeah and you know i mean zoe and i both have personal relationships with people who work for marvel and like Mm -hmm. everybody writing on these books has their heart in the right place on this stuff
1: yeah like i i have had discussions with folks who are writing next books and
0: I am content, I guess, at the moment to see where things go and to root for them to push it as far as it can go.
1: Yeah, I, I think that I understand the annoyance. I understand. Of course. The, like, like I, I would see, But you, you need to understand that there are real people writing these books who are, in many cases, queer themselves, trying their absolute best to do what you want. They are there with you.
0: And they don't own these characters.
1: Yeah, I mean, fucking look at like, again, not to say like you know, oh, Al Ewing would do this if he could, but his his creator-owned stuff, right? Queer as all hell, yeah. from yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: I think people need to stop looking at like writers as like they're not giving me what I want. They they're trying. They are they're,
0: working they're, so hard to give you trying. exactly what you want on this score. I, they just yeah. are. Anyway. Sam Guido writes, hello, Connor and Zoe. Why is the Wolverine family so gay? (laughs) Queer headcanons for the Wolverines are very common, even though Daken is the only one who is textually bisexual. Personally, I'm really attached to a queer reading of Logan as a feral bisexual trans man. I love that he's unapologetically short, hairy, and angry, and aspire myself to that level of not giving a fuck. Why do you think the Wolverine characters resonate so much with queer readers? Is there a queer reading of Laura that is important to either of you? I love the cannibal episode, and I'm so excited to hear your conversation Uh about Laura. We've gotten into, you know, queer Laura. Obviously, I know you are a big lesbian Laura person. Ride or die. I am sort of, again, like this isn't a character I'm that invested in overall so i'm not mm-hmm. super invested either way i think that the plot with sync is interesting but would i like to see her with a girl sure but like i'd like to see most X women date a girl
1: yeah I, <laughs> I think
0: yeah i really am like all about sapphic x-men moments that's really i mean listen you grew up on chris claremont you can't quite there's a hunger
1: that you got i'm just like there. when will they
0: kiss it's been 40 years like you know so i'm i'm all about it it wholeheartedly I have heard the Wolverine as a trans man had canon many times before, specifically with regard to Laura because of the idea that people were like, well, what if the reason they couldn't get a Y chromosome out of the sample is because mm-hmm. there wasn't one? Again, like this is not something we're going to get in the comic, but I think that- This that... is not like a Hickman like, retcon right. that's going to be revealed. But
1: yeah. it's a fun idea. Logan being the most Harry Farrell- Trans man that could ever be is just like <laughs> it's a fun like, idea, perfect. yeah. It, it's 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 so immediately like you get it the second you think about it.
0: What's fun about it, and I think it's why they appeal to queer readers and like and lend themselves to queer readings, is because I've talked about this a lot on the show. I just talked about it with Ben Percy last week. Wolverine is such a hyper masculine character. There's a lot of homoeroticism to his stories, to his relationships with his rivals and with his comrades. He has that kind of vibe. And so Laura, because she is his daughter and is intended literally to be a new Wolverine, that's why she was created, like, she has a similar vibe of like, I exist only for battle. But like she has, much like Wolverine has Sabretooth, she has Kimura. Much like Wolverine has Kurt, who like he's going into battle with, she has characters like Mercury or like Jubilee. Like or like Soraya. I mean, like, she has these yeah. intimate friendships with women that you can definitely read that way. If you you want. can easily
1: read, yeah. And I, I, I think an additional level when it comes to like trans and gender identity specifically is so many of the Wolverine family have a core part of their character. Being told they are one thing, rejecting it, and choosing their own path.
0: Whatever you say about me, I am this person, and I know that I am this person.
1: That's always going to resonate to varying degrees, but, like, seeing Laura be like, I am Laura Kinney, I am who I say I am, definitely, like, hits close to home.
0: For sure. Zach Jenkins writes, Dear Zoe- Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, boss. (laughs) Dear Zoe and esteemed host, one thing I found odd about Laura in recent years is the retcon that she is biologically Sarah's daughter. Taking away the fact that I just don't understand biology and don't know how any of this works, what does this retcon add to the character in your opinion? Bless Zachary Jenkins. Uh, nothing i think it
1: takes away from the character
0: (laughs) yeah i mean i know that zach is this is a leading question from zach because as zach mentioned in his episode a couple weeks ago zach's father is an adoptee and he hates when stories suddenly are like your adoptive parent is actually your biological parent so i get that zach
1: and i have also talked about this specific comic and why we both hate it so he was really leading us here (laughs)
0: I think there's two reasons that it was done. One is because it makes the character less complicated. It's like a Wonder Woman, New 52-ification yeah. of like, it's just much easier to say she's Wolverine's genetically engineered daughter than she's a female clone of Wolverine created by a this and that. Like, it's it just much simpler. It's a neater, easier thing. I think it is less interesting. The other thing, though, is that we haven't mentioned this yet, but in X-Men Evolution it's much more heavily implied that Dr. Risman in that used her own DNA to create X-23. Yeah. Because Dr. Risman has brown skin and so does X-23, which Logan does not.
1: Yeah, and that it's, it is it is a bummer that that has not...
0: It really didn't carry any... over to the comics. There's a yeah. question about that later, so we'll get to... It's Actually, it's literally next, so we might want to get into that. I think it was partly done to tie that up. Like, this is the thing from the cartoon that we're now bringing in a little bit, maybe. But I think mostly it's to streamline the character to make her a less confusing IP. Yeah. But its it simply is less interesting. And it, uh, it further weakens the Sarah Kinney character to me is part of yeah. the problem. Because now it's like, not my baby, in a way that feels unnecessary.
1: Yeah, Sarah seeing Laura and deciding, oh, this is a child. I am choosing to see her as a child. This child I helped
0: create is actually a person. Yeah. As opposed to like, this is my baby. Like, it's just, I don't think you need to go to that place with it.
1: It also furthers, comics has such a weird obsession with biological parentage. And I just, uh, it's so old for me, like adopt a kids or family just stop stop making it weird
0: yeah it's like stop being weird about this you just don't have to make it weird Eduardo Falad writes hey Connor and esteemed guest I wanted to ask your opinion on the topic of Laura's race in her original first appearance in the cartoon X-Men Evolution she's tan-skinned because the scientist that used her own DNA to stabilize Logan's incomplete DNA was Deborah Risman a tan-skinned woman Risman's ethnicity or race were never elaborated on in the show but it feels like her and Laura were definitely not meant to be read as white in the cartoon." Then in her comic debut, Laura was given pale skin and dark hair to make her look more like Wolverine. They even replaced Deborah Rizman with the character Sarah Kinney, with the only significant difference from Risman being that Kinney is a white woman. So from then on, she's looked like a white person, and that's the version that is stuck in the comics. In her big screen debut in Old Man Logan, she was white or light-skinned, but was of Mexican descent. As a Mexican, I thought this was really cool, but I wish they'd gone the extra mile and cast a darker-skinned actress to honor her original design. Should Marvel stay the course and keep her a light-skinned woman, or should they try to implement aspects of other versions of her, like the darker skin or the Mexican descent from the movie? It seems like such a waste for a really cool potential POC character to have immediately been dunked into a vat of white paint and have that character be the character all comics fans recognize. Would love to hear your thoughts. I think that they absolutely could retcon Sarah Kinney into, like, a white Latina and give her, like, mm-hmm. the Mexican backstory, and that that would be an easy way to bring some of that in. I do think that at this point the character has looked the way she does for like yeah. 20 years and changing the design is probably just not going to happen.
1: Yeah, like I, I'm i the whitest woman on the you planet. We're both white, so like, no, so like yeah. you know, our
0: opinion on this is not super relevant. But like, while I agree it was a shame that they did it initially. It sucks. I think she's a major enough character that it would be hard to do it now.
1: Uh, yeah, I just don't see a way you could do it and not have it feel like Extremely like bending, like triple backwards to like get it to go, and which like if someone wants to do that, like I'm not going to
0: complain about it. Redesigns happen all the time.
1: Yeah, so if it happens, I wouldn't complain. Great. I just think it's unlikely that they will do that. I just
0: don't. Yeah. Because again, like these are corporate characters, and the IP X twenty three is extremely set in the popular imagination at this point. I think. Yeah,
1: more than like a lot,
0: like more than a lot of X Men characters.
1: Yeah, like she is, she is Lady Wolverine. Like that right. is, uh, that is money. It's yeah,
0: and they're not. I just don't think that the people who own the character are going to want to move away from that. Mm-hmm. Mike Layton writes, "Hello, Zella gang I'm excited to see Laura finally get her episode, she's one of the few canon immigrants of the X Men that I'm aware of. But unlike other canon immigrants like Renee Montoya or Harley Quinn, her origin was so different that it radically changed the character for a time. It's a relief that she's been able to truly shine in this new era." My question is twofold. Firstly, I'm really glad that Laura's formed a connection with several generations of mutants. Is there anyone you'd love to see her interact with more or for the first time? And secondly, are there any canon foreigners, someone from outside the main Marvel Universe 616, that you would like to see become canon immigrants? Thanks and have an amazing start to your year. The most
1: self-indulgent answer on the planet, because me and Valentine made a whole comic about it, but... I think Laura, Kenny, and Hope Summers We have a question about this. Oh, great. So hold that thought. I'll shut the fuck up. I would love to see- I think she and Danny would have a lot to say to each other. That's a good
0: answer. I would like to see her and Ilyana talk, actually. Because like Mm -hmm. I said, she feels like a very similar character for a different generation. And I think Mm -hmm. that they would relate in a lot of ways. I think that she and Rachel should talk more. It's been like 20 years. So there's a couple different characters I think it would be interesting to see if you're talking to. As for your other question, there aren't that many X-Men characters from other media who aren't derived pretty strongly from comic characters. This really is the big one, and they did bring her in. So... Off the top of my head, like, I don't long to see Spike from X-Men Evolution, particularly. And I can't really think of that many others.
1: There's It's because it's there's so many fucking Like, mutants. there's so like, many like, X-Men you characters, we don't one.
0: really need yeah. to complicate it that much. Like, is there even anyone from the Fox movies? I can't really no No, no,
1: like, there's, there aren't any, like, I think the only of, uh, like, because I never actually watched it, because I knew I wasn't going to like it. Um, Was Jessica Chastain an original character in Dark Phoenix? She
0: was. She was, yeah. They replaced Emma with a Dabari alien, Mm. played by Jessica Chastain. That
1: is a choice to make. Well, she
0: was going to be a Skrull, but then Marvel Studios was using the Skrulls, so it became a thing. So she was a broccoli person instead. And frankly, casting Jessica Chastain in a Dark Phoenix movie not as Jean Grey, but as a broccoli person is extreme. Is the funniest thing on the planet. <laughs> is evil. Like there's something. There's something wrong <laughs> about like that. Is a reality anomaly that needs to be fixed. Like it's. It's just. It's wrong, and I don't support it. So yeah, I don't really have an answer to that question, but I like that Laura was able to make the jump because that show in a time when X Men comics were not. As big as they had been in the 90s, that show was really huge and was the path in for a lot of people, including my guest today. So I think it's cool that they did, you know, while I was resistant to her when it happened, I do think it's cool that those fans have been able to jump on with that character into the comics. Gwyn Bishop writes, Hello Connor, an esteemed guest. To get it out of the way, Connor, I've been obsessed with your take since you converted me into a little hellion way back when you raved about Emma Frost in Patrick Willems' X-Men video, and it's been so wonderful to see this podcast flourish. Hopefully soon you can rally this gay little army and we can manifest Candy Southern back into existence through sheer homosexual will. Which brings me to my Laura question. What is up with her love life? I love Laura to death. She's my only Wolverine, but I can't get into any of her romantic partners. Should Candy Southern be brought back to life just to get worn away from girls half his age? Okay, to be fair, he was the same <laughs> age as her. He was the same when age. When they dated. Yeah. Perhaps we could follow up on her fun little body jaunt with Earth 65 Gwen Stacy, or let's at least see that Laura has a cherished stash of the Mary Jane's demo tapes in her place. I don't know of any asexual but still romantic characters at Marvel, and I think that could work with Laura. It would be neat to see such a visceral, in-your-face character desire a relationship that doesn't involve her body, and she's always giving me some body dysmorphia vibes. Love you. Love the pod. Love to hear your thoughts on this. Krakoa forever. Thanks, Gwen, at Gwen Poptimism from Twitter. I just thought that was an interesting take. I am, like, so not asexual that the asexual headcanons are always tough for me to, like, assess.
1: Same. It's, like... Anytime and I've heard it for, with with Laura this character,
0: I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, many times. And
1: like I, I see it. Like I understand. And I, if that was revealed, I would have no qualms. Me with either.
0: It. I just can't really like a pine way away. It is hard for me so to put myself, my Experience, you know.
1: Yeah, I'm. But I, I see it with Laura. I understand why so many people feel that way, and I think. That would be a very cool direction to take the character. There's
0: lots of cool ways to take this character that could help a lot of people be seen. Like, there are so many different paths that you could take this character down in part because of, like, the quote-unquote baggage and the history and the trauma and all the stuff she's dealing with. Like, there's a lot of different paths you could take this character down that I think a lot of people would see themselves in. That's one of them, and I certainly am not opposed to that if that's where it was to go.
1: It's weird because I don't like... the, The Warren relationship is terrible to me. But I did like the breakup they had. If they didn't get back together... The getting back together would,
0: part is the weird part, but the breakup's good.
1: Yeah, if they didn't get back together, I would be like, shit, that was a good like way to get something of worth out of that nothing relationship. And then they just start kissing. Yeah. So...
0: Kayla Boren writes, Hello, Connor and Vaunted guest Zoe. I think there's a good possibility this has come up before you got to the listener questions, but I would love to hear Zoe talk about the absolute galaxy brain ship that she and Valentine Smith brought into world that is Laura and Hope Summers. The house party story featuring the two of them was so moving and hot in a way that felt extremely true to both characters. Where did this pairing come from, and what gods can I pray to in order to make it canon? P.S. The same house party story featured a cameo of Hellion in a mesh tank top, and I would just like to thank Zoe and Valentine for that gift.
1: Uh, that one's all Valentine. I had <laughs> nothing to do with the mesh tank top. Um, so it came from me at 2.30 in the morning. Um, Valentine and I were talking, we like we had decided we were going to do more house parties. And we were trying to think up fun character combos or like, like stuff. So, and I was thinking of Laura because I was like, we got to do Laura in some way. And I was just trying to think of characters. And then I thought of Hope. And it immediately clicked. And I told Val and they were like, Yes. Oh my God. I think they are so fascinating. For so, they are they are divergent paths, but somehow ended up similar. Hope Summers is a girl with all of the expectations of the world on her from a young young age. She is the mutant messiah. She is going to bring back mutant kind. She's raised as a soldier with Cable. He's her gruff father figure. And then after she kind of fulfills her purpose, kind of falls off the face of the earth for a hot second. Mm-hmm. She's doing great now. Happy for Finally, her. yeah.
0: Yeah. I think what's kind of cute about it as an idea is that they are like the Logan and Jean of the next generation. Yeah. And in the same way that having her flirt with teen Cyclops was amusing in that way. Mm-hmm. Or like the way that having Scott and teen Bloodstorm get together for a minute was yeah. hilarious. Like... There is a a road not taken quality to having girl Wolverine and not quite reincarnated Jean Grey, like, be a thing,
1: you know? It's cute. Like, and that that was my first, like, in- I was just like, oh, that's, you know, it's like Wolverine and a redhead. Right. Like, you know, that's, yeah.
0: But they also are both, like, roughly, like, 18 to 21-year-old mm-hmm. girls they're, they're who dealt with a ton group. of trauma, who were child soldiers by necessity mm-hmm. or by force, like, there's a lot there, I think. Go read Scars, the house party Yeah, go read the fan comic. Go read yeah. the fan comic that they made. It's good. Patrick Talbot writes You're Connor, esteemed guest. I want to start by saying I'm a Laura Kinney Stan. I started my modern romp into X comics with All New Wolverine after not reading an X Men comic since the blob ate the wasp in Ultimate X Men. Okay. <laughs> hey, mood and was dazzled by this character and Gabby the entire time. As I've slowly begun reading through the entire X canon, I've been shocked to learn Laura's origins and her trajectory through the line. Anyway, I would argue the four characters that have truly entered the core roster of main X characters in the 21st century are Emma Frost, Magic, Laura, and the Cuckoos. I realize that makes technically more than four characters. As you've pointed out, the two that have shined over all else are Emma and Magic. I wonder, do you think well-established characters, Logan and Emma, have prevented Laura and the Cuckoos from shining as brightly as they could have? Is Logan, from a meta perspective, a boon or a curse for Laura? It's notable that Laura's popularity truly skyrocketed when he was dead. Also, why does Laura keep getting her character development dialed back every few years? Reading Fallen Angels Volume 2 after All-New Wolverine and X-Men read was a bit of whiplash, and it seemed to undo all the development of the character that Taylor had done. Thoughts? Love the show as always, Patrick Talbot. Um, <sighs> don't worry about Fallen Angels. Listen, here's the thing. Yeah, here's, the t- thing em- here's the thing about Fallen Angels. I think Brian Edward Hill is a great writer. Yeah, very much I don't so. like that comic, and it felt to me like he had not read very many comics with the characters he was writing. Is how it feels.
1: He has admitted that the comic didn't work. Like yeah, Twitter. he was like, like he, he it knows. didn't work. Yeah.
0: We'll get into this later this year when I do an episode on Conan. But my biggest problem with that book is that everything it establishes about Conan's backstory is a bizarre retcon that doesn't tie into the 90s story at all. To me, that book, the characterizations in that book are very aesthetically based. It's sort of like, okay, Conan's a cool ninja, so we're doing that. And Laura Laura is is X23.
1: Girl Wolverine. Yeah.
0: So that's it, really. As for your first point, I think that it's been problematic for Laura more than for the cuckoos, because I think that the cuckoos occupy like a different niche in the franchise. And you can put them in a group shot, and everybody's like, oh, it's those weird quintuplets. Like they're fun that way, in a way that makes them very different from Emma. I don't think they will ever reach. An A list status simply because the point of them is that they're a hive. And so
1: that's always going to be a weird hill. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Sometimes one of them will shine in a way. Like I think Esme is the breakout. I mean, ever since Morrison, like she's the breakout, but they're more interesting to me as a collective. And I think that is a hurdle to becoming like a top tier character is that there's five of you, right? Or even three, you know, for most of their publication history. As for Laura, this is where well the next question is about legacy code names, so we'll Mm -hmm. get there. But I do think that unfortunately she is always going to be Wolverine with an asterisk. Yeah, Wolverine is one of the most famous superheroes there is.
1: Yeah, like beyond 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 any X Men character,
0: the only remotely comparable X Men character is Storm in terms of just like public profile, and even then, no comparison. Yeah. Wolverine is a Superman, Batman, Spider-Man level of famous character, and to most people in the world, Wolverine is Hugh Jackman. Yeah. So I don't think she is well served by, you know what? Like, let's just read the next question too, because yeah, because the same... they're, they're gonna yeah, into and each this other. is the last question, so it'll take us into sort of a last final thought. And I wanted to save the code name thing for the end. David Welsh writes, Greetings, congratulations, such a strong start for the second year of your wonderful podcast and the well-deserved praise from Entertainment Weekly. Thank you, that's so crazy to me. I have to admit up front that I was out of the x loop for basically all of Laura Kinney's introduction appearances up until Jonathan Hickman's soft reboot, House of X and Towers 10. (laughs) While she isn't getting a ton of panel time right now, I do like what I've seen of her so far in both Hickman and Duggan's runs on X-Men. My question is more generally about legacy characters. I've always had a bit of a soft spot for next generation heroes, Infinity Inc., the Teen Titans, the Young Avengers, and so on. But aside from Rachel Summers taking the codename Phoenix for a while, James Proudstar briefly operating as Thunderbird, and of course, the lady's mastermind, legacy characters have never really seemed to be a thing among mutants. I suspect Wolverine is an exception because if one Wolverine makes this much money, more Wolverines will therefore increase profit potential exponentially. But otherwise, I'm curious as to why there might be a relative absence of this heroic trope in the X universe? Is it because the whole mutant construct prizes individuality over repetition? You don't see a ton of weather witches or a ton of people who could turn into steel in the same way that there have been like seven Captain Americas. Or have the mutants just not gotten around to it yet? Thanks for all your hard work on the podcast. Best, David Welsh. So there's two questions here. I want to answer the second question first and then we'll get into a general discussion, I think, Hmm. to take us further out of Laura's codename. I think that with X-Men in particular... It's because the mutant name is something deeper to these characters than a code name is for most superheroes. It is their identity. Yes, like yeah. I mean, I thought in Marauders when um, Storm is talking to Dolores Ramirez, this really comes across where she's like, "My friends can call me Aurora. My friends can, yeah, but it's not the name I operate in the world with because I've chosen a mutant name." Magneto is really illustrative of that also like I think there is something powerful about that that makes it weird when an X-Men character has a legacy code name on some level Rachel is an exception because Jean was dead and that's again what Laura did here right like Rachel was Phoenix and then Marvel Girl both times it was in a circumstance in which she arrived and Jean was dead Rachel is a great example of a character who got screwed by that because when Jean comes back, Jean is going to be Phoenix or Marvel Girl, not her. Yeah. It's very rare for that legacy thing to actually stick, even at DC. It's very rare. Because people always want to go back to the most iconic version of the character. How many Batgirls have there been? And yet Barbara Gordon is constantly getting thrust back into those tights.
1: The closest you've gotten is Wally West. And even he got booted out Even for a he decade. got screwed
0: for a while, right?
1: Yeah.
0: He's back, but Barry Allen's still the main Flash. Unless I'm super mistaken, but uh,
1: well, I mean, he's got the CW show, but in the comics, Wally is uh, oh good, in... yeah. I yeah. see.
0: I'm not up on my Barry's
1: Barry's off in like miniseries land, while the the Flash ongoing is Wally. oh
0: good, love that for yeah. Wally because I love the Wally West Flash comic. And yeah, I'm... Wally is a wonderful character. I love him yeah, but that's the thing is it's hard to make that stick, and the character who gets given the legacy code name, I think it usually is a curse. To some extent, it depends. Like Renee Montoya's profile, she's my favorite DC character. One of mine. Exponentially raised by the plot in 52, where she became the question, but New 52 took it away from her. And she disappeared from publication for several years after that happened. Yeah. So it's just hard. With Laura, I do think that this is a somewhat insurmountable problem because with Wally, like, no layperson knows actually who the guy in that red suit is. Yeah, it's the Flash. But Laura is visually clearly not Logan.
1: And even beyond that, Wolverine is known more out of the costume than in the costume. Yes. Like people, People know Wolverine is the dude in the leather jacket with the mutton chops who has claws. Yeah, I just think yeah. it's
0: tough. I think that it's like... Here's the problem. I think it's like Miles Morales being Spider-Man, which I think has hampered that character more than it has served him now that he's also in 616. Because you always have to say Miles Morales Spider-Man to clarify, because if you just say Spider-Man, people think you're talking about Peter Parker. I don't know what the solution to that is, but... I do think that if a character can have their own code name, it's usually better for them to have their own code name.
1: I uh, see. I definitely understand that line of thought, and I do think it creates a very big challenge.
0: Miles Morales is one of the few cases where it clearly has worked, because people love both characters. But I do think that being the asterisk one is a hard position to be in.
1: And I, I think something that people don't think about a lot is how it affects like maybe not this like generation of readers but the next one because like I know a whole bunch of parents who like to their kids Miles Myle, Morales is Spider-Man, is Spider-Man. Man. right yeah like full, well that's fully, the Wally like, West
0: thing I mean it was yeah. fully insane to bring back Barry Allen who had been dead since before I was born
1: yeah it's, it's so great and then he got the CW show that's so wild
0: where he's just Wally by the way
1: a very, he's Wally except he's a police scientist. He's that's Wally with
0: Barry's guy. job. Yeah, that's it. And Barry's love interest, who's also his sister. Yeah, they it's did the a Kurt and Amanda with it for no yep. particular reason. That's an mm-hmm. odd choice, but whatever. I think with
1: Laura, it's I I understand like she she's never going to be the Wolverine, right? Like you, you can't you can't do it, Logan. You is, simply
0: can't do it. Yeah, you can. And people have even accepted. And Spider Verse, I think, really helped Miles Morales yeah. the movie Spider Verse because now people are like there's more than one Spider Man, and we all know that mm-hmm. now. I don't know that like a Wolverine verse movie could do that with Wolverine. I think no, he is such uh, a specific pop cultural figure.
1: I think there is worth in Laura being Wolverine. It's the other side of the coin where the challenge of having a character who is like the Superman Batman. It's like when like Dick love, Grayson level. was
0: Batman for a sec after G- after Bruce died. I mean, it's it, that's and it was it was, was good, that's yeah.
1: Some of my favorite era of Batman,
0: but it didn't last. Notably,
1: no, it it definitely did not. I think the reverse, it's also true because I think it, it's very powerful for people to be able to look and be like, hey, you know, Wolverine, the big, like, mm-hmm. there's a Wolverine who's like me. Yeah. I like that.
0: That's cool.
1: Yeah. She's she's never going to be the Wolverine.
0: I just think know? it's tough for her branding specifically also because she is much more famous under a codename that exists. And God, it's so Well, this is the had, this is had, the problem uh, is that like yeah. people have gotten mad at me when I've said I think she should be X23. And here's the thing. In the story I understand that from the beginning of the character's publication history, she doesn't want to be called X23 and it represents her dehumanization and it's not the name she chose. And that I'm very sympathetic to and from yeah. an in universe perspective, obviously that matters. From an out-of-universe perspective, the problem is that her branding is X-23 to almost anybody who has heard of the character but isn't a comic superfan.
1: To the point of, if you go to Marvel Unlimited and you search wolverine you will get logan
0: and if you search x23 you will get her you'll get a picture
1: of laura in a wolverine costume with her character profile
0: i think the only time it really works is when it is a very permanent change that is just simply not going to be turned back for example the carol danvers becoming captain marvel thing absolutely worked because no one cares about captain marvel and that means that Kamala Khan, who turned out to be a huge hit character, is now forever Ms. Ms. Marvel. Yeah. And that works. Similarly, Betsy is now always going to be Captain Britain, I do believe. Yeah. I don't think Brian is ever going to get that title back because Brian— yeah,
1: people, people like Brian, but people he's, not, like, he's not I Betsy. love Brian. Yeah. He's
0: never been a popular yeah. character. It also, more importantly, enables Kanan to become Psylocke and enables the Mm -hmm. codename Psylocke. This is, again, a branding concern. Psylocke, to millions of people around the world, is specifically an Asian woman in that swimsuit with that psychic with knife a sword. and a yep. sword. She was in Marvel versus Capcom too. Like she's, again, these being in video game adaptations, being in cartoons, being an action figure, like it's a thing that these characters sometimes simply have to bear the burden of the branding. So I appreciated that when Tamaki did X-23 as the Laura ongoing after All New Wolverine, she found a way for Laura in character to reclaim the name as something that worked for her. Whether or not you buy it...
1: Well, I argue that she... Because when Laura does mention it, she mentions she hates right. it. Right. Like she, she goes, I am using this name I hate until I am done with this thing. That feels less reclamatory to me and more like... I am putting on this mantle for a specific mission. And when I am done with this mission, I am not going to use this shitty name
0: anymore. That's fair. It, this is, a, this one's a tough one. Yeah. Is the thing. It's just, uh, here's the thing. I think she needs a code name that isn't Wolverine.
1: I'm here for that. And the, do you remember the one they tried to tell the last of uh, Talon? I kind of like
0: it. I,
1: I mean, now they can't do it. Cause DC. I know, is, but
0: she has yeah. little talons in her feet. Clank, clank, clank go her talons. Like she got Cut little talons. <laughs>
1: I agree. I think, like, her being Wolverine is very important, and if they want to keep her Wolverine, she will always be Wolverine with an asterisk, and...
0: And maybe they'll do that, and that's fine, but I do think it would be better for the character's long-term branding as her Mm. own thing if she had her own code name.
1: Yeah, and I agree. Um, I I think if they wanted to do that, that would definitely be a move that because the specific the X23 name is something they they I understand the brand is there right. and it's strong which means it is important if they are going to move past it to
0: to really commit, commit to something, to something else. else right
1: and never use X23 ever again in any yeah
0: way. and i think that the options are either that or you find a reason for her in the story to say i accept this mm-hmm. name because you either have to really run away from it or accept that that's the brand. Yeah. There are two options and I think that her being Wolverine asterisk doesn't accomplish either of those things.
1: I'm fine with either option there.
0: I think it's fine that she's Wolverine for now. I'm just looking like five, 10 years down the line for this character. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. And like, it is cool that you can be like, oh, she's on the X-Men with Cyclops and Jean Grey, and she's Wolverine. Right.
0: It's cool. But I think it keeps her in his shadow in a way that doesn't serve her as a character. I think it worked yeah. in All New Wolverine because he was dead.
1: Well, even then, she was All New Wolverine, like she was Wolverine, but Old Man Logan had a solo. Old That's Man Logan the thing was on is, all the, Old Man Logan was still the, the most important
0: Wolverine.
1: There was one scene in Inhumans versus X-Men where... The Inhumans are, like, running to go stop something in the Savage Land, and Laura is chasing them, and, like, they get away from her and go through a portal, and the big cliffhanger moment is they walk out the portal, and Old Man Logan is there to fight them. And I'm like, how did you—you literally had Laura pass off the cool cliffhanger moment to Old Man Logan,
0: like, even when she was the only Wolverine, she didn't get to be the only Wolverine because they had to bring an nope. alternate Logan to be the main Wolverine. Like, that's the yeah. problem. And so I really just think that if you want the character to flourish, she needs to have her own thing.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Well, Zoe, is there anything else you want to say about Laura Kinney before we start to wrap?
1: Nope, I like her a lot.
0: There you go. We talked for three hours. We did. I feel like I think we've, 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 we've exhausted cut it. everything. Yeah. Well, Zoe, why don't you tell the listeners where they can follow you on social media and plug anything you want to plug.
1: Well, you can follow me at Blankzilla on Twitter at Zoe Wright Stuff on Instagram. You can read Blade Maidens, which is the comic that Valentine and I, uh, a friend of the show, Valentine are uh, making.
0: So if you like the merch, the Cerebro merch, that is the same artist mm-hmm. and she's very, very good. She's
1: goddamn incredible. <laughs> I don't know how I tricked her into working <laughs> with me. It's a free webcomic. It's at Mains on all social media, blademains.com. It's a couple of disaster sword lesbians working their way through a fantasy world, getting up to jobs, trying to scrape by. And it's just, it's fun. It's queer. It's, we're real proud of it.
0: Well, I think it's great. I am really enjoying it and it's nice to see you guys creating something entirely original because I've loved the fan comics but this portfolio work yeah which is exciting You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at CerebroCast. You can follow me on Twitter at DreamOfOrganon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. You can find all of the episodes, plus links to the Discord server, the merch store, and much, much more at CerebroCast.com, the official landing page for the podcast. For $5 a month at the House of Zalading tier at Patreon.com slash CerebroCast, you can get an ad-free experience, plus Secret Files bonus episodes as they come out. They will be on a more regular schedule this year, and I'm looking forward to doing more. Next week's episode will feature returning guest Spencer Ackerman, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and writer of the newsletter The Forever Wars. He will be joining me to talk about Callisto, leader of the Morlocks, more recently White Knight of the Hellfire Trading Company. Then the Eisner Award winning editor in chief of Women Writing About Comics, Nola Fowl, will join me to talk about Irene Adler, Destiny, a very important character as we go into Destiny of X, the new era of X-Men publishing. I will be announcing the February slate on next week's episode. I'm really psyched about what's to come this year and I can't wait to share all of that with all of you. Until next time everybody, thank you so much for listening and bye. X-Men In the 21st century, people
1: mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Only hope is. X-Men.